serves. This is Sir Gene with your morning update in the afternoon. In this episode, Ben had the wrong mic selected on his computer, so he thinks he's talking through a good microphone, where in reality, he's talking through his laptop built-in mic. So the audio quality is going to be shittier on this one. Sorry, guys. Hey, Ben. Uh, how are you today? I'm doing well, Gene. How are you this morning? Pretty good. So um, you're back in the country, huh? Made it back. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like you made it back, too. You I actually did. had an alibi, even. Uh, well, apparently, people were asking about it, and it turned into the alibi. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, there was verification that the person I talked to on the plane, boy, you're scratching your mic or something. I'm hearing a lot of scratchy noise. Uh, I swallowed. Are you still hearing it? Yeah. yeah well, it sounded anything. like you were touching the windscreen. You're not touching a windscreen. Nope. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So I, I just mentioned somebody that <clears throat> I sat next to and then, uh, People listening on the live stream quickly checked, apparently, and uh, found a a news article talking about that gal flying off to uh, Mexico for a few days. And I I said how many days she was going to be gone, and that's what it said in the article as well, apparently. Yeah, so either Gene read the article beforehand. (laughs) How would I read the article before it happened? Uh, Well, it... The article was available when we started talking about it. So, oh, that's true. That's true. You know, well, you I've, could have planned it. I'm still hearing a, a mic touching noise. I, dude, are I you in your normal mic? No, I'm not. Oh. Is there a reason you're not in the normal mic? There is. Okay. Um, all right. Well, then be super careful and not move because probably like the mic cable is touching your clothes or something. Literally nothing is touching me. Well, right the second there isn't, but two minutes ago, something was scratching. Huh. So just kind of pay attention. Because I know sometimes the, uh, if it's a mic with a cable and not a wireless earbuds, then uh, quite often just the noise of the cable coming across your clothes is enough to pass through into the mic. Okay. Anyway, inside baseball stuff. So we're going to be... Covering uh, a bunch of politics, but you also mentioned you you had some uh, gripes on a podcast app. Yeah, so lately, Fountain has been absolutely damn near unusable. So I'm only bringing this up just because, you know, podcasting 2.0, everything, that there's a lot of good things going on. But, Mm -hmm. you know, with these new apps... um, you know, before you add a whole bunch of features, focus on basic usability first. Yeah. So uh, if if anyone else is having this problem, I'd be interested in knowing because I'm trying to get feedback to the developer. But essentially, it will not play a podcast unless you have internet access. And mm. it will not, which is just anathema because, you know, the whole idea is I'm downloading something and being able to right. play it whenever, wherever I want. And then two, if you close the app and then go away and do something else and then come back, it starts the podcast over again instead of remembering where you were. Ooh, yeah. That's With annoying. the chapter feature, you can kind of find your place back, but dude, that's just basic blocking and tackling that has to get done first. And it like it used to do all these things, so it yeah. became broken. It, it's a new thing that it started doing that's just broken. Oh wow! And I like okay. Fountain because it's got a lot of the new features. They're way ahead on the feature list. 
So I'm trying to support the front runner yeah. and saying, Hey, you know, I'm going to use you. I'm going to, uh, use you to boost. So you're and having you can take a bit of problems. money from it. I am, but you know, the, and I'm fine with bleeding edge problems, but at the same time, um, the problem should be with the bleeding edge stuff, not the basic stuff. Right. 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 So no, that's, that's the only great. Okay. I've not heard of it. So I, I'll, I'll take a look, see if I can it, replicate it, it, what you're doing. They've got, they've got a good feature set. They're going in the right direction. I like their discovery side. I like mm-hmm. the funding side, the way they're doing the boost, the way they're handling the sats. There's lots of good, cool things mm-hmm. about the power map, but come on, man. Hmm. Yeah, well, hopefully they'll get it fixed. You know, it's you have to make sure you let the companies know when you guys run across problems because just sort of griping to yourself or your friends is not enough because uh, well, they may not know there's a problem. Um, I mean, I've sent the developer, you know, multiple uh, notes on several broken yeah. features. Well, I'm not I, saying I, you're I, not I, doing that. I'm yeah. just saying it's it, it, it's very common for people to bitch about stuff and not actually notify the person that could fix it. Absolutely. And, you know, working with customers on bleeding edge software fairly regularly, um, it's definitely feedback and getting that to engineering and letting engineering know and letting engineering dig in if they mm-hmm. will, it is the way to do it. Yeah. All right. Any other techie stuff that you can think of? Um, <laughs> well, there, there's a handful of things. Um, there's uh, the whole Elon Musk pulling out of uh, supporting Ukraine. Yeah, well, I was going to say before we get into <laughs> Ukraine. Well, but this is kind of a good related. segue because okay, it's both. fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So apparently he was spending over $20 million a month of his own money to support. Uh, he's not spending money. Um, well, burn. Th- it's it's like if, yeah, it's like if you own the uh, the railroad company. And you have to amortize your rail because you have to replace it every 30, 40 years. And then you start um, allowing somebody else to have access to your rail. Well, it, you're going to start charging. more like someone using your train, though, because you have to pay the fuel well, cost, but, too. But, right? but there because is no the fuel cost. There's no yeah, fuel there cost here. There is. Yeah. The, 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 uh, not ter- yeah, the terrestrial ISPs that they have to pay interconnect cost to. Yeah, those ter- well, those terrestrial ISPs are in are in, in Ukraine. I they're, they're don't not- believe that to be true. Uh, I don't think well, there are any right. a star link upload well, sites do you in think, Ukraine. Where do you think they are? Most of them are in the US. They're um, not in the US. I can tell you that right now. The Europe by Starlink is not serviced from the US. That data stays in Europe. So they, they could be in other European countries. They're they're not okay. in the U.S. Well, uh, I, I don't think they would be in Ukraine. Either, either way, I don't. I think that it, this is clearly the end result of Musk wanting to get out of a situation that he walked into before knowing anything, wasn't it? And, yeah, I I definitely think Musk stepped in it and yeah. is now realizing the error of his ways and he, he, he way. jumped into politics without reading the tea leaves is what happened and uh i think that i'm sure somebody told him hey you know it would come across really good for our uh, department of defense contracts if you were to say provide the internet in ukraine and then next thing you know uh six months later there 
explosions are using his technology to be triggered in other countries. And incidentally, just because uh, he's providing those free internet connectivity in Ukraine doesn't mean that they're being used by civilians. And in fact, I think that's part of the, what the, the realization was, is that, yeah, they're not really being used by civilians. They're being used by the Ukrainian military, which is comprised mostly of people who are not Ukrainians at this point. Yeah, the, it, well, and they're being used for offensive activity, not just communications. And that's the key right. point. Right. They're, they're being used for geolocation and targeting systems and everything yep. else. And yeah, because uh, Russia's being... been, yeah, Russia's been jamming GPS signals in Ukraine. So this yeah. is the clear, easy alternative for that, for the U.S. side. Well, the Ukrainian side. You sure, why not? I mean, there's no doubt that NATO is involved and that we are the hand that is trapped. I uh -huh. fully get that. Um, I mean, even to the point of paying, you know, uh, it's, the it's U.S. To go weapons, U.S. technology, uh, a lot of European Paying and U.S. troops to fight for us. That's and the irony any, of all ironies. Any any sort of technology which has, did not exist in Ukraine previously is clearly being operated by people that know how to use it, which is not the Ukrainians. So I think this is convenient for Musk that um, he was told to fuck off by Ukraine officially on Twitter. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh and that his, his photos have all been pa pasted over in Ukrainian cities that were previously, you know, having posters of Elon Musk as the great uh, billionaire savior of Ukraine. Uh, now they're all covered up. And so now he's like, oh, well, okay, well, I guess we're, we're done providing free internet and you all can start paying for it. Well, uh, even to the point, um, Gonzalo Lira was talking about this, and I, I didn't get a chance to write down the site, but apparently mm -hmm. he is on a hit list at this point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I think he's, see, this is why he says he stepped into it rather than just made a mistake, is because he's fucked. Uh, he's going to end up losing defense contracts because of this, because the Warhawks, the, the people in uh, not just the neocons, but the people on both sides that are Warhawks, uh, at this point, they're going to make sure that the government isn't spending money with Musk. He may end up having NASA problems as a result of this, frankly. Uh, possibly, but I mean, he's kind of the only game in town. So he's got that going for him as far well, as satellite launches that, and stuff oh, like that. He may be I mean, the only are, game in town. That, that, are they going to go to, uh, you know, Russian, Russian no, no, launch no, no. systems? Well, the, Boeing is ready. You still have ULA. Uh, and they're... Yeah, Boeing is not ready. They're not human certified, but it doesn't stop Congress from giving Boeing way more money than they give to uh, SpaceX. Like, they've historically done that anyway. Like, Boeing, even though they're now how many years behind, has received about three times as much money as SpaceX. Boeing's technology is easily close to a decade behind SpaceX, right? Easily. I mean, they, yeah. they, they are, they're just... That's I, I, and I, I can't understand why they Apollo can't get capsule. They, they started with an Apollo capsule and then said, okay, let's tweak a few things. I mean, they're not like, this is the advantage of getting into it from scratch is you're not held back by legacy. Mm -hmm. You know, all the tech you're using is new or just invented. And yeah, there might be more 
things to iron out and uh, clean up, but you're not held back by old tech, which Boeing absolutely is. Which brings me to an interesting point. So um, Billy Bones had recommended the book uh, 2034, a novel yeah. from the Third World War. I well, think you were reading I, that, right? I, I finished it last week. Um, oh, wow. Okay. I mean, I finished that book within like three days. It was a very Jesus. good book. But we, mm-hmm. well, when, but here's the thing. When you, when you listen to the, there was an interview that I listened to uh, with the author who is mm. an admiral and retired and so on. He's a total libtard. And he's mm-hmm. one, of, but he's one of those people who is very liberal and very doesn't think of themselves as such. But the, you know, the the ideas they espouse versus mm-hmm. their values don't match, right? They have total cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. But regardless of that, it was a very good book. But it talks about America facing a pure power and the technical technological issues that America has. And mm-hmm. in the book, it's the Chinese that are able to exploit. Um, our quote unquote technolo- technological advantage and turn it against us um, in various ways. And it, it's interesting. And I was thinking about this actually as I was reading is that while we are technologically more superior to China, it is likely that China would actually have the edge in war because of our legacy systems, because they are new to this and they've had the chance to build cybersecurity in from the beginning versus we're patching and glomming it on. They do have a, from a cybersecurity standpoint, which is what I do, a strategic advantage there. And that needs to be recognized. Um, Russia is kind of in the same boat we are uh, from a technology standpoint, except they have less technology, which actually aids them if their cyber offensive capabilities are anything. Yeah, What I'm mean, saying that, is that, we, have less, we have less capability to materially affect them from a cybersecurity standpoint because they're not mm-hmm. as dependent upon it as we are. Yeah, Battlestar so, Galactica. Exactly. Exactly. Great announcement. Mm-hmm. But anyway, good book. Uh, it's set a decade too early, and it has us in China getting into it, and India coming in and being the peacekeepers, which I don't see. I see India actually moving way more towards the Russian side than us. Yeah. yeah. Now, Modi is a fan of the U.S., but we'll see how less long and less he every may- day. Exactly. He, that, this administration he, is absolutely destroying any of these relationships. Well, and here's the thing. Modi is absolutely a nationalist. He's going in doing amazing things for India. Mm-hmm. And he's going to keep doing amazing things for India. Under Trump, it was totally advantageous for him and Trump to have the relationship they had. Yep. It was mutually beneficial. Biden is fucking that up. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think that this is something that, uh, whether it was triggered or whether it was going to happen, regardless, anyway, uh, right now, a lot of countries like India, like uh, Saudi Arabia, that have kind of been taken for granted by the United States as friendly, are starting to stretch their legs a little bit and say, yeah, you know, we're actually... um, you know, we're not a vassal of the United States. Well, uh, it, just, just to it, make a point on that. Yeah. They, they, they are the reason part of this, the reason why is because they were actually given respect by Trump. Um, so they were given respect by Trump. They were given, a, you know, a lot of respect the way Trump handled 
the Abraham Accords and went to Saudi Arabia the way he did and everything else, they kind of got a little bit of confidence there. And it's the establishment that is taking them for granted and has mm -hmm. taken them for granted for, forever. So it's like that person that you just kind of mistreat, kind of ignore, whatever. They get a little bit of confidence and then you're like, wait, what? Why are you telling me fuck you? Oh, because well, they're treating I, you like shit. And I think with Saudi Arabia, the the next shoe that's going to fall is when they don't renew the American air base leases. Well, I mean, they don't I, need to. They don't need to. But depending on who's in office, that will trigger a war. No, it's not going to trigger a war. Sure, we'll invade Saudi Arabia to make sure we can maintain those. Nah, it's not going to happen. Uh, with, it's if, not happen. If, if Joe Biden is president, I bet it will. Well, if if Joe Biden's president, I, it's not going to happen in the next couple of years. I mean, the I think the leases run for another six, seven years, but uh, I, I, I don't think they're going to renew them. Well, that will be a huge hit to Americans' ability <laughs> to project its power. Uh, I don't know that America's going to have an economy to project at that point, so it may not matter. Maybe sort yeah. of like, oh, you can't <laughs> afford these leases. That's why we're not going to renew them. It's uh, you guys. Yeah, your economy can't sustain that. Um, the, uh, you know, Russia calls this, this change of realignment, the fair world order, um, which is essentially a world order without having us at the top. Um, but it's definitely shifting. It's, I think, uh, whether it's just simply the focus of the U S and Europe on Russia or whether it's other countries saying, Oh, somebody is standing up to the U.S. It's definitely having an impact on a lot of countries who you would think would be saying yes to the U.S., but are instead are saying no. And when Saudi Arabia basically tells Biden to fuck off and uh, we're going to limit our production further and nothing he can do is going to change that, uh, that's not a... That's a that's an emotional response by Saudi Arabia. That's not a rational response by Saudi Arabia. They're basically rubbing it in, and not trying to win some specific well, favor. Well, I I, I I will say that I think the release of Biden asking them to not not yeah, reduce yeah, production the, for a month is an emotional right. response. But I think the them reducing production is absolutely in their financial but, best interest well it always is but typically what would happen is that the u.s would come to them and explain to them why the u.s wants something different and then they would said well you know it's really going to cost us you know what can you guys do for us and then there would be some negotiation and and the u.s would get what it wants and saudi arabia gets what it wants in this particular instance it seems like there's nothing the u.s can offer saudi arabia that is equivalent to a reduction by 2 million barrels. Um, well, yeah. Um, so this ties into the financial piece a little bit. And, um, you know, we are the Titanic. It is hitting the iceberg. It's time to get people in the lifeboats, uh, to use Glenn Beck's analogy. Mm -hmm. But I'll say this. I, I think, I think Glenn Beck is a little bit of a doomsayer because I think there is potentially a way out of this, but it fucks the rest of the world. Um, and I think if the Fed holds interest rates around 9% and we just allow for some inflation, 
basically the only way out of this is that we deindustrialize Europe and we industrialize ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's the only way I can see possibly out of this, but it totally will fuck Europe. Europe's dead anyway. I, so why would we try and save them? Yeah. I mean, the Bank of England's moves lately. The Bank of England is about to be defunct. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking major collapse. The All the retirement funds in the UK are about to just go under. Yeah, and I, I mentioned this on the, uh, on the Unrelenting as well, is that part of the reason that we've got to where we have with these megacorps is because people trust their savings to anonymous mutual funds. And there's too much money that, that people don't individually control. They don't make decisions about. And what that allows to happen is much larger corporations to exist than would have otherwise. So um, I, I think that uh, it's a self-resetting mechanism. Bank fails, people start to realize they can't trust the bank, they take bigger control of the money that they have in the future, and that kind of shrinks things back down. Well, uh, and These conditions don't arise in a vacuum. They arise because they're primed to arise given the circumstances we live in. And to put it slightly differently, this is why the unseen hand of free economies works is because individually, if you're controlling your own economic future and so on, if you fail, okay, you fail, um, but maybe a hundred others succeed. Right. So the failure is limited. But when you consolidate, when you centrally plan, when you go the communistic route, whether that is through corporatism or actual communism, when there is someone who fails, because we're all human and mm -hmm. we all fail at some point in time, that failure is much larger in scale. Yeah. And people are playing with not their own money. And so they're willing to do things that they wouldn't with their own money. And by yeah, people, more I cavalier. mean... Yeah, more cavalier. I mean, the people actually managing the money. BlackRock um, is a great example. The BlackRock could ES not exist if people didn't put money into mutual funds for their retirements. Right, but what I'm saying is what they're doing with ESG is a perfect example of what we're talking yep. about because yep. no rational human being would say, okay, I'm going to accept the decadal losses because I think this is going to be better in the future. But because mm -hmm. it's someone else's money and I feel the power to do this and this is a social thing I want to do, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I guarantee you, Larry Fink, if it was his own money, wouldn't be doing it. People, people somehow attribute qualities to corporations that are different than qualities of humans. And I think that's ridiculous. The, the, a corporation is simply the agreement of a bunch of people that, for one reason or another, have gotten themselves into very high power positions. Well, it's so, not even it's not even necessarily an agreement of people. I mean, I I don't know about you, but I've watched multiple boards just acquiesce to a CEO because of cult of personality more than once. Yeah, you know, sure. It, you you get a fairly charismatic CEO, and the board, especially if the brand is tied to that CEO specifically, mm -hmm. and the if the CEO decides to walk, the company's defunct, sort of thing. Yeah. Then the board is nothing but yes men. Yeah. yeah. Regardless of his percentage of control. Yep. But we've got a few things that have contributed to where we are right now, which is very much an oligopoly. And what those things are include 
mean, this is not an exhaustive list, but they include things like the majority of people's savings, retirement accounts being the biggest savings, being under control outside of themselves and in a very limited number of companies that are managing all those accounts and making the investment decisions. And another thing uh, that's gotten us kind of where we are uh, are the... Uh, there, there are a lot of bad laws relating to uh, to patents of products. Um, and so companies that have the ability to spend millions on lawyers get to a very big advantage against startups and newer businesses. Um, there's a... Uh, certainly the way our banking system operates with the creation of new money happening literally at the bank level when they uh, create a loan um, rather than at the government level. Well, so, let, let's talk about that a little bit because I don't want to assume that everybody who's listening, um, you know, all three of you. Uh, yeah, I was going to say what, the, the two people that generally listen? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but uh, let's not assume that everybody knows how money is created in the United States. Um, since the Federal Reserve Act, Basically, any all U.S. dollars at this point are tied to debt. They are only backed by debt of real goods. Mm -hmm. So if all the debt in the world that is backed by U.S. dollars was paid off, there yeah. would be zero dollars in circulation. Exactly. Yeah, and that's, that's worth bringing up because I take shit like this for granted. But you're right. Maybe not everybody is aware of this, that essentially the entirety of the U.S. money supply is based around debt. And when the debt disappears, so does the U.S. money supply. And this is why China doing what it's doing is, or could be considered certainly economic warfare, when they are effectively, um, they're, they're buying their own currency and selling the U.S. dollar. And that includes uh, closing down... Um, you know, accounts that were in U.S. dollars. So you're you're essentially bringing more money back into the United States, but that money is disappearing because it's paying off debt. Which, in an inflationary environment that we're in, it's not necessarily that this is part of the because you're super I, quiet right now. You looks like you're away from the mic. Uh, can you hear me? I can barely hear you. I don't know why. Yeah, but, you're. You, it sounds like you're about two feet away from the mic right now. I'm not. Okay, now I can hear you fine. Whatever you just did, now you're in front of the mic. Okay. Um. All right. Anyway, let's so continue. Repeat what you were, well, repeat out. what you were just saying, because okay. I don't think that people could hear you. Okay. Um, apparently, we're gonna have Gene's gonna have to do some editing on this episode, or I'm just gonna sound yeah, shit, but that's fine. Clearly, <laughs> um, what I was saying is that I, this is why I would tell the Fed to hold at nine percent, is because we want some destruction of debt, we want some destruction of dollars to slow down inflation. But at yeah. the same time, if you go to the thirty percent that would be required to actually stop this inflation, you would destroy the U.S. economy. So this is where I think, you know. Out of all the nations that are allied to the U.S. currently, we're the strongest economy mm -hmm. 
out there. Um, So all of that capital in those countries that still can is going to flee to the United States as a last refuge. And that's going to help offset this somewhat. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I don't disagree with you. I I do think that cranking up the, I mean, this happened in the seventies. I I lived through it. I remember it. There were, you know, with the prime interest rate being, uh, I think right around 10 or 11%. I remember, well, probably maybe not. Carter hit but, 20. Uh, what? He did? Carter hit 20, yeah. Oh, inflation though, not prime rate. Oh, uh, you said prime, sorry. Yeah, prime. Because I remember uh, my parents had a um, a mortgage out and it was at, I think, 13% for the house. And that was like a good rate. So um, I... I would assume the prime was like just a point or two below that uh, without looking it up. But uh, it's got to have been right around there because uh, the idea that the prime rates hovering at just 1% for as long as it has been, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that that's ever been the case in the U.S. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, we're in the same situation that we were in 2008, but instead of... Uh, so in 2008, after the bank bailouts and everything else, we saw massive inflation, but mm-hmm. we didn't feel it. And the reason why is because that inflation was in the stock market. It wasn't in real goods. It was in companies mm-hmm. um, because of banks investing, because the banks got the bailout. Well, now that humans have gotten the bailout, citizens, we're seeing the inflation in actual durable goods. Um, you combine that with supply chain shortages, and that's why the inflation rate has jumped the way it has. Um, had we not had the supply chain shortages, there would have been inflation, but not to the degree we're seeing mm-hmm. the the supply chain issues that we got because of covid um, absolutely is really driving the demand side of this. Yeah. Um, and, and that's another point that should be noted. The Fed's only tools in this are are uh, our supply side, so they can't control the demand. Right. They can only right. control the supply and the demand is high because we just went through two years of, you know, basically not getting much. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it's, uh, I don't know, man, it's, it's hard to try and predict what's going to happen right now because unlike the last time that the U S was in a, a major long-term, uh, downturn like this, uh, the, the stability of the rest of the world is a lot shadier. So it's, uh, it, it seems like the last couple of times that the U S had downturns that the, um, uh, like you could at least predict somewhat what, what's happening in the rest of the world. I don't think that's the case right now. Well, I think we're looking at 1930s, uh, repeat right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're being honest with ourselves, so I think the U.S. is going to slide into a depression, and I think the only thing that's going to get us out of said depression is a war. And I think that we're seeing that. Well, they're trying as hard as they can. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I would put the situation we're in economically as in 1929 and the situation we're in geopolitically as in 1939. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, actually, I think that's quite accurate because uh, – and when you said in the 1930s, I started kind of thinking it was like, well, as far as U.S. market crash and the, the economy going down, sure. 
but um but yeah i think probably more like 1939 as well yeah so yeah. i i think geopolitically we are very much in the and and i would you know i've said this since before the ukrainian um situation emerged the way it has i've said mm -hmm. that they were setting up putin to be the next hitler mm -hmm. because the donbass and the hinterlands and poland are very analogous and what it comes down to is you literally have the same sort of narrative coming around. And instead of Churchill being the impetus and the reason why we have World War II, it's now mm -hmm. Biden for World War Three. Yeah. 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 I could see that. And it's uh, unfortunate that th this is where we end up. But I also don't think that things are going <laughs> the way that they predicted either. Uh, I'm sure that there were people that brought binders worth of scenarios and the way they would play out back uh, a year ago to the White House. And I would bet, and I, I have no idea, but I suspect that uh, what's actually happening right now was not predicted by anybody. Well, so... I think the way this was done and the way this was, I think the scenario they thought would unfold, this is just, you know, I know nothing that anyone else knows, but just reading the tea leaves and looking at this, I think they thought, okay, he's going to take these areas. We can make it expensive for him. We can drive some economic development like we're at war because of spending and so on. Um, and we can make it expensive for Russia and hurt Russia. What they failed to realize is that they pushed a little too far. So the bombing of the Ukrainian bridge, for example, was mm -hmm. pushing too far. And the response we've seen of that is, okay, now Russia is going to escalate and actually take the gloves off and go to war. And what they're doing is destroying Ukraine. The infrastructure yep. that has been destroyed in Ukraine will take decades to rebuild. Yep. The power yep. plants that are destroyed, Yep, that's a five-year project at least. Yeah. Yeah, we're, I mean, you're talking about a deindustrialization of Europe. We're going to have a massive deindustrialization of Ukraine happening. Well, uh, Ukraine's already deindustrialized. Now, granted, they were not a very industrial country to begin with. But yeah. as far as being able to provide power to the citizenry, they are going no, to be they're at going to be fully best... reliant on Russia. Absolutely. Yeah, there's all the... And I think that will be the case strategically as well as inevitably. Um, you're saying, well, it's five years to rebuild it. They're not going to get rebuilt. Well, here's the thing. The, the substations that Russia has hit mm -hmm. are all on the western edge of, uh, uh, of Ukraine. They yep. are severing strategically yep. through munitions. They are severing yeah. Ukraine's ability to import electricity from Europe. And they should have done that the first month, as far as I'm concerned. Like U.S. tactics would have a mistake. U.S. tactics would have blown up everything on every part of the country uh, that that can be utilized for uh, infrastructure, electricity, uh, water, uh, food, everything. Because the U.S. strategy, looking at the last engagements the U.S. has been in, uh, and and incidentally, we definitely want to talk a little bit about Haiti as well is um yes we do coming in and the full complete destruction 
of the ability of the populace to sustain itself in the normal life. Shock and awe. Shock and awe. That softens things up to when we do start coming in, people are desperate on the other side. They're not desperate to kill us. They're desperate to get a drink of water. So, yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, I think the the new commander uh, that's in charge of the operation at this point in Russia has been saying this. He's a hardliner guy. And uh, Putin putting him in charge now, I think, uh, to a lot of people in Russia, is acknowledging that Putin made a mistake. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely, you know, he, he we want assumed... them desperate and dependent. And he is... Yeah. He, and here's the thing. The U.S. tactics are about destroying the quality of life and preventing mm-hmm. the enemy's will to fight. Yes. Putin very much wanted to say, okay, I'm going to, quite frankly, from his point of view, and I'm not saying this is right, wrong, he, and different. Yeah, he, he was acting as though he's liberating Ukraine because in his eyes, he was. Liberating but, the Donbass, not necessarily the well, whole. Well, no, liberating Ukraine. liberating Ukraine from the Nazis, because that's that's I don't think just uh, lip service. I think that is the way See, that I do. This I, I take the Azov Battalion stuff as fairly lip service, because if he if he was really going after the Azov Battalion and denazifying Ukraine, mm-hmm. he wouldn't be fighting in the Donbass. He'd be fighting in the West. No, he wouldn't be fighting in the West because uh, the majority of the uh, of those guys were right on the border of Donbass because that's where they were fighting. That's where they were deployed, not yeah. where their homes are. Well, but he, well, fair enough, but he's not trying to destroy the families of the Azovs. He was trying to destroy the, the actual guys in the military. But the, the bottom line is that this was by the way that it that this special operation it was even called a special operation at that point the way that it was uh fought was very much through the eyes of a liberator like you guys had a um a uh, a coup in your country and now although we took way too long we're coming in to help liberate you from that bad coup this is well, this is this is i think more akin to the way that the the u.s uh you know tried to fight in um um korea i agreed and the coup that we're talking about was under the barack obama administration mm-hmm. and we should note victoria uh kagan noodleman's yeah uh statement of fuck the eu and i think we're coming full circle on that strategy Uh, and part of the reason why putin backed off is again because of trump coming in not going with the uh liberal economic world orders playbook and saying hey putin yeah i i get you there's problems in there we're not going to go after you taking Crimea and liberating Crimea from this situation, but let's just not cause any more problems right now. And he acquiesced to that. I mm-hmm. really believe that there was a conversation between Trump and Putin, whether it was Putin being afraid of Trump being a madman and willing to use nukes over this or just a friendly agreement of, hey, we're not going to do that under my watch, okay? We're just going to let it be. Um, and I'm not going to push for anything on Crimea because Trump didn't. He, yeah. he didn't insist that Putin give back Crimea. And right. he, quite frankly, because of those four years, legitimized 
mm-hmm. Russian control of Crimea. Crimea is never going back to Ukraine. It's not well, at this point. It's it's never going back to Ukraine because it never has been Ukraine. It's always been Russia. It was just the way that the maps were drawn was wrong. Well, okay. I mean, legitimately in the eyes of the world body, it was part of Ukraine. Whether, for whatever reason, I yeah. understand and agree. But right now, yeah, maps should definitely be redrawn to show Crimea as part mm-hmm. of Russia. And quite frankly, so should the Donbass. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked Elon Musk's idea of, hey, let's settle this peacefully and let's have the UN come in, monitor the vote, and see what happens. And I really think that Russia would have gone for that if the Ukrainians would have, because I think Mm -hmm. the majority of the Donbass would have voted to go with Russia. This is literally what Russia asked for before this started. Back, if you go back to um, the, the, the Minsk Accords, that was literally what they were asking for is we want to let people make their own choice here. And we want Ukraine to acknowledge that if they vote to separate, they're going to be separate. Yep. And not even part of Russia. They're just going to be separate regions. Well, and that was the entire talking points at the beginning of this. And people need to remember this. Russia did not start out with this, with these regions being part of Russia. Mm -hmm. They wanted to create a nouveau Russia, basically a vassal state that would be, uh, closely allied with Russia, but yeah. you know, not necessarily Russian territory as they are seen in Russia now today. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, the other one that's still going to happen and, uh, it's just a matter of time is Odessa because Odessa is also always Russian. So it's a Russian always has been a Russian speaking, um, uh, region. So when Odessa falls, that will completely isolate what's left of Ukraine from water. Yeah. And it, it, it'll be it, an inland it, state. It should be said, though, that Odessa has been much more homogenized in the last few decades and is not as overwhelmingly Russian as the Donbass. Well, yeah, that's true. Because when, um, when they banned the Russian language in Ukraine... Uh, a lot of people started leaving. So I, I don't know that Odessa is a make or break for Russia. I think Russia could accept what they've got, and that'd be good because now they've got their land bridge to Crimea. Yeah, that, that may have been the case a month ago. It's not with the new guy that's in charge. Fair um, enough. Odessa is part of the package. In fact, um, the entirety of Ukraine may end up going that way. Well, so I... They're not going to stop at this point. I don't see under the, the current military leadership, I don't see there being any stoppage. There, there's not a line outside of the, the actual border of Ukraine for them. I don't think they're going to go into Poland, but they're not going to stop. I don't think they're, put it this way. Once they capture Odessa, what I don't see happening is a statement saying our military operations are complete and we're not going to wind down. Fair enough, but I can see them taking Odessa, accepting a ceasefire from Ukraine, the what is remainder rump Ukrainian state fracturing. Um, Once it fractures, the remaining Russian speaking portion of Ukraine going to Russia and the western side of Ukraine voting and being annexed by Poland. I can Mm -hmm. totally see that happening. 
Well, if that happens, then I was literally right on day one of the war, because that's what I said was going to happen. The line <laughs> well, that I drew we'll on see. day one went through Kiev. It went from Odessa up north, slightly east, through Kiev. And everything uh, west of Kiev was going to be Poland. Everything east was going to be Russia. Well, um, and, you know, I think we might even get CSB on board with that plan. Yeah. So. Well, it's interesting because, um, sorry, I'm chung down while we're, we're talking here. Yeah. Um, but I was. Having your breakfast. I usually have my breakfast when we're recording this. Um, I, I think right now the. The, the thing that the U.S. and the West completely was oblivious to and didn't predict the possibility of happening even is the way that this is perceived by the rest of the world. Like, all the events and, like, you know, Russia crossing well, over into the Ukrainian border, I think, was universally perceived as a dangerous and bad and an act to condemn. Before you continue, and I'm going to let you rant for mm-hmm. a little while, but... Let's talk about what we mean by the rest of the world, because well, I mean South America, the Western world, Africa, Europe, Asia? Europe. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Europe, Canada, and the United States, Japan, Australia are all, and even New Zealand, I would say, are all pretty on board with the U.S. narrative. Mm-hmm. Now, when we say the rest of the world, we mean everybody else. Yeah. So what we mean is. What we mean, what I mean, I'm not a royal we, although I, I guess I am, sort of. But um, like this last UN vote that just took place, uh, where U.S. was trying to, uh, I think, push for, what was it? The, was it saying that this this latest attack by Russia on Ukraine is a war crime, something like that? Which this was a general assembly vote, which is mm-hmm. relatively meaningless. And the well, reason why the U.S. But... took it to the the reason why the U.S. took it to the general assembly and not the Security Council, where it would have some teeth, is because they knew that well, Russia has well, a Russia veto in the Security Council. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. There, there's nothing they but, can do. But this is what's so. I believe every country, or damn near every country, has a representative in the U.N. And so using this General Assembly vote, we can actually get an idea of what different countries' thoughts on this matter are, right? Um, the, uh, the interesting little factoid that came out was that the number of countries that either voted against this, so with Russia, which was a fairly small number, but if or you abstained. add that to the number of countries that abstained, which is a larger number because uh, an abstain is effectively the same thing as a no vote because it's uh, you're you're removing your vote from the support of that thing. Uh, it's just not as strong in opposition to the vote. But the number of countries that either abstained or voted no represents over four billion people. I'd say that's a vast majority of the planet. Yes, but not a majority of countries. But not a majority of countries, correct. So, <clears throat> once again, the U.S. is acting like they're the elites of the world. They're the top 1% of the world in trying to push things through. And the majority of the world is saying uh, no. 
So just to really quickly, the actual numbers on this, there were 141 votes for, five against, uh, 35 abstentions, and 12 absent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the 35 plus the 12 represent the vast majority of the world. Well, the vast majority of the world being of the Russia and its close allies, well, China, India, most China. of Africa. It's BRICS. It's basically yes. BRICS and some African countries. But again, that literally means that the people that are for this is only one out of 10 people in the world. I, I don't know that I'd go that far on population density, but it, it, it's over 50% of the world population. What's the total population right now? Nine billion. Is it nine? Okay. Eight point something nine. I don't know. Well, we can Google it. It goes go up all the time. I so, I mean, I don't think it's gone down in a damn long time. 7.9 billion in 2022. So, yeah. So, yeah, you're right. It's over half. It's it's not nine out of ten, for sure. It, but it, it it's definitely over half. Well, regardless, the, the, the entire point is that the abstentions and the votes against are geopolitically damn significant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I don't think we had 50% of the population abstaining from votes against Germany in World War II. I, you know, I would have to go back and look. But when you think of the nations that were really actively involved in war, mm -hmm. I don't know, because, you know, <clears> India, <throat> well, the India at that time would be considered part of Great Britain. So, yeah, yeah, India you know, would be you, considered you have part of Great Britain. So you have a huge population shift there. Um, yeah. But China was at war with, with Japan. Which, by the way, India was one of the countries that, uh, <laughs> that abstained. So just a point. About there. World War Two. No, uh, the, India was part of Great Britain during World War II, so I'm talking yeah. about today. Oh, yeah. Well, I, well, I said all the BRICS countries. Uh, <clears throat> so it, that's as expected, I think. Um, but uh, I don't know, man. If uh, here, Here's something that I don't, I have, uh, this is just purely conjecture. I don't have any insight on. But if, if Russia and Putin can broker a deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia. That's it. The U.S. is done. I, I don't see that ever happening. Uh, there. Yeah, but if, that's why I'm saying. That's why I'm saying it. If it did, can you imagine? Oh, it, it, yes. But I mean, what you have to understand is what would be required for that peace deal. Um, yeah, the Wahhabists in Iran, or not in Iran, in Saudi Arabia, are. Mm -hmm. I mean. We we talk about, you know, the, you know, most of the time in the U.S. when we're talking about Muslims, we're talking about Shia versus Sunni. Okay, mm -hmm. great. That's really not that big of a conflict when you compare the Wahhabists. <laughs> you know, the the House of Saud um, are some real hardliners, man. Um, and I don't see them giving in. But maybe when... I don't know, man. The uh, Shia are pretty damn hardliner, too. Well, if when when the king of Saudi Arabia finally dies, depending on who takes mm -hmm. over, that will determine oh, we know who's a lot of over. geopolitics. We don't. We do not. Absolutely, we do not. There is a huge fight inside of Saudi, Saudi Arabia right now as far as how this succession should go. If you look, it went from brother to brother to brother, and now do we go with the son of the lattice lace, the current ruling 
power or do we go back to the original ruling power? That That is to be determined. Absolutely, there is a huge yeah, fight. Yeah, MBS is going to win, clearly, that fight. And I uh, think he is very much the favorite, but I'm saying it is not fully determined. I think it's fully determined in his mind. Okay. I, yeah. I, I think Let's you're right. But... If I'm going to make a bet, he's my man. I agree with you, but, you know, just like with football, there's a reason why we play the games, you know? Uh, okay, that analogy made no sense to me, but okay. Because you are, you have upsets, you have things that happen in the contest that, yes, the superior team usually wins, but, you know, every now and then the underdog gets a win. So I, I agree with you well, that he, he's the favorite. He has, but... he has demonstrated his ability to use all means at his disposal. So this is something we've never talked about, but I want to get your take on this, especially given this line of conversation. Mm. Do you think he killed or had Khashoggi killed? Obviously. Why? Because Khashoggi was working for the U.S. I, okay. Um, I don't know his involvement or not. I could easily, at the time, especially given the administration that was in power, is that as a CIA thing to just be a trope and go from there because he had outlived his usefulness. Oh, no. I, I think Khashoggi was absolutely killed by Saudi Arabia. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I don't think it's that big a deal, though. I mean, that's... Uh, it's definitely not as big of a deal he's, as we made He's not a U.S. journalist the way he's been presented. He, he was always has been involved in Saudi Arabian politics for many, many years. And I think yes, that... Yes, as a dissident uh, voice. Yeah. And I and uh, I think that he started speaking out against the wrong guy. Interesting. So I I have always been under the impression of a the Khashoggi thing is way overblown, and then B I have not been convinced as to who did it. But it sounds like you are. So. I don't think it. It yeah. I I just I don't see a problem with it. I mean, honestly, I think Saudi Arabia can kill anyone who's a Saudi Arabian citizen. And it's their fucking business. Well, depending on where they do it, sure. <laughs> not really. Not really. No. So if the U.S. They decides they don't to have kill the someone U.S. Constitution, on someone else's soil. Incidentally, no, the U.S. I, is, is in the process of killing Julian Assange, who's not a U.S. citizen, and uh, is flexing its muscle with other countries to ensure that it's able to do that. So, yeah, I think if, <laughs> if the U.S. is able to... Uh, which they are in the process of killing Assange, and I think he will die before uh, he's ever sentenced in trial or, or uh, voted not guilty. I think he'll be dead before then. What difference does it make if Jamal Khashoggi was killed by uh, Saudi Arabia? Well, fair enough. Um, did you watch a- Peterson's interview with uh, Assange's wife? No. Well, you should watch it. It's, And I would very much recommend anyone who's at all political and interested in this. Um, I didn't even know Assange had a wife. He does. And Peterson did an interview with her and it's excellent. Hmm. Did he get married while he was in uh, exile or? Um, or no, it's I, the, just, it's the mother of his her. children and it's been kind of downplayed and kept wasn't secret he for a long originally time. Charged in the UK with a rape in Sweden or some bullshit story like that. Wasn't that the whole pretext for putting him in jail? 
Yeah, it was. And she actually goes into that. And Peterson asks her why she doesn't believe those charges and a whole bunch of things. And it comes down to he supposedly, and she even acknowledges that he did, uh, slept, mm -hmm. which speaks to their relationship, but that's neither here nor there, slept with two women uh, in a short period of time. And he was never charged with actual rape. What they tried to force him to do, and apparently in Swiss law, you can do this, is to take uh, an STD screen. Okay. Because he had slept with these two women in short succession and they were butthurt about it. Huh. Okay. Well, no. Yeah. But I absolutely agree with you that the U.S. is, I mean, if, if through no other reason, um, killing Assange. Um, and in the interview, she even went into why they are fighting extradition to the U.S. so hard because Peterson said, why not just go to trial and beat it there? Mm. And she talked about the uh, the different types of isolation that exist in the U.S., which I didn't know about. And mm. there are currently 50 prisoners in the U.S. under this special provision isolation that you literally once a month get to talk to your lawyer or a loved one. You choose. Mm -hmm. And yep. you don't talk to guards. You don't talk to anyone else. You are completely and totally isolated. It's what they did to Bradley Manning, which mm -hmm. in my mind uh, is why Turn Bradley is now Chelsea. <laughs> Chelsea. I mean, yeah. Chelsea Manning uh, was literally kept naked in the mm -hmm. cell because of, quote unquote, suicide risk. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just that is the definition of cruel and unusual punishment. It is dehumanizing. Well, I, I don't it know is, how that's uh, all that cruel. I mean, we used to test whether somebody was a witch or not by seeing whether or not they drowned when we held them underwater. Like, if you don't drown, you're clearly a witch. Okay. I, this is normal human behavior. It's my, my, my only point here is that I'm not surprised or shocked by any of this stuff because this is very much the way that humans have been acting for thousands of years. Yeah, I mean, humans have been shitty for a long time, but that doesn't excuse the it's, mistreatment. It's part of, it's the same th reason that you can't have too many rats in one small space, because they're nonviolent towards each other until there's too many of them. Mm -hmm. it, it, population density breeds violence. Absolutely. What we really well, need is to reduce the population of the Earth down to 500,000 people. <laughs> okay, Jim. It, it exacerbates violence, but violence exists even in small communities, um, it exists even in the family structure, uh, violence, humans are extraordinarily violent creatures. We, we, we definitely are. Um, I think there's, I, I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure just from stats I read that the amount of violence in cities greatly outpaces the amount of violence in, uh, farm communities. In absolute numbers, yes. When you no, break no, it down in, in per capita, numbers. I don't... Per I, capita, yeah. I think there is an uptick, but I don't know that it greatly outpaces. Um, my point is that human interactions are all underlined by, at, at the very least, a threat of violence. Hmm. Your, your behavior to another individual is based off of a threat of violence, whether that's friendships, whether that's adversarial, whether it's familial. It all comes down to, okay, you can push me so far, but don't push me this far. Um, mm -hmm. And why would we expect nations or anything else to act differently? Yeah. Yeah. That's true.
But yeah, as far as the Khashoggi thing, I always thought it was just uh, much do about nothing. It's just an internal conflict within Saudi Arabia about Saudi Arabian uh, politics. And uh, Khashoggi comes from a rich family. He was His family's been involved in Saudi Arabian politics. He's been very vocal about Saudi Arabian politics. How do people think that he's anything but a Saudi Arabian uh, political operative? While we're on the subject of Saudi Arabia, since we haven't talked about this and it actually predates us doing this podcast, mm. what do you think of the Saudi Arabian ties to uh, the Las Vegas shooting? Oh, I'd never heard of that. Oh, yeah. Um, so one of the theories around the Las Vegas shooting, which has never been explained, uh, mm -hmm. was that uh, there were several Saudi Arabian princes at a uh, hotel nearby. Mm -hmm. uh, and that w when this was all un unfolding, there was uh, reports of shootings elsewhere in Vegas and so on. And there was videotape of Saudi Arabians being there was literally videotape published on the internet at the time of Saudi Arabians being exfiltrated out of uh, hotels in mm. the area. So, yeah. Um, I, my personal view on the Las Vegas shooting was that it was an arms deal gone bad. That was uh, my impression. But, yeah. Yeah. But there, there's definitely, um, there's definitely some, you, you should look it up. There's definitely some yeah. scuttlebutt about a Saudi Arabian element being involved. I think you're going to find that anytime there's a, um, a mass, you know, violence event happening that the Saudi Arabians are the ones that are getting scuttled out of there and limos and off to airplanes immediately. And it, I don't well, think it's because they're enough. to blame. I think it's because they have the money to do that. <laughs> they have the security. Yeah. yeah that, they, don't, they don't travel without a 20 person private security team that is paid to do that. And that and it, that could be easily the answer, but the other answer could be that that uh, and I think MBS was rumored to be one of the Saudi Arabians that was uh, getting out. In fact, one of the theories was that it was mm -hmm. a, going to be an assassination attempt. Mm. So who knows? Way too many guns in that hotel room for an assassination attempt. Uh, depending on the force, but you know, I mean that that uh, that brings up another question: How did one man? literally carried that much armament up the stairs oh yeah you know or totally. even through an elevator i mean this is mm -hmm. this is not this is this is literally hundreds or thousands of pounds of munitions mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's not a one man one trip sort of thing absolutely yeah that's why the the uh gun deal is the most the, the, to me the most obvious explanation so let's say it is a gun deal gone bad. What's the motivation to then turn those arms on civilians? Um, yeah, that's a tricky one because what's the motivation for WTC seven going down? Money. Well, that's a, that's a good answer. <laughs> well, there's not only the insurance policy, there is what was stored in WTC seven. Mm. There, the, I mean, there are lots of things there. Yeah, because if you have an armed deal that goes bad, typically people shoot each other. Correct. So right? again, why? So why wasn't there just a bloodbath in the hotel yeah. room, and that was which it? there should have been if it's just a money, or just a a gun deal goes bad. So I don't know, man. I, it's a tough one. There, I don't see a who comes out ahead. Like who 
benefits from this other than the gun lobby to have the a gun mass control in lobby. Vegas. Yeah, the gun control lobby. Yeah. Who benefits from that? Well, I mean, it got bump stocks to be banned, so who knows? Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, I have, I have no idea, man. Cuz it, it it the whole thing just made no sense to me. Well, it really and, just does not make sense. It's not the most efficient way to kill a bunch of people. It's not especially at that range. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, I mean, it, how did the guy die? Did did the cops kill him or did he kill himself? Uh, I believe the narrative was that he killed himself, but I had to go check. It's so probably had two to the back of the head to himself. Yeah, is my guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, he he killed himself by shooting himself in the back of the head twice. That's the most common way to commit suicide, don't you know? Well, especially if you're, uh, you know, targeted by the hag. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know, man. It's, uh, I, I've never really understood the, why that event happened. It seemed like, and I was in Vegas just previous to that, too. So timing was very uh, strange on that. Um. I don't know. It's it, you now you just opened yourself up to CSB saying that you were involved. Uh, yeah, somehow. yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> but you know, so, I usually stay in the Mandalay Bay myself, but uh, yeah. I don't know. So, question: What do you think of uh, this video that just came out on CNN of Pelosi saying that she was waiting for January 6th to happen for people to trespass in the uh, house, and that she wanted to go beat up Trump and was willing to go to jail over it? I have not seen the video, so oh, what it's you hilarious. said is the first I've heard of it. Yeah, so you need to look it up. But She's uh, a Pelosi, crazy old hag. What do you, you know? But, I mean, she should be arrested for this. For what? She was literally threatening violence to a sitting president. Where is, where's the Secret Service going to. and investigating she's, she's Nancy Pelosi. She's allowed to do that. Anyway, it's just hilarious that uh, this has come out, and it, it it's like the Democrats think that something like this is going to benefit them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's utterly not. It's, it, it, if anything, it makes it look like Pelosi knew this was going to happen. And, mm-hmm. you know, it sure it seems to answer a few questions, especially around, you know, hey, why did law enforcement usher some people in and some not? And why was there essentially a stand down before this? Trump yeah. wanted to bring in more troops. She said no. Uh, you know, it basically, it seems like an admission that Nancy Pelosi orchestrated January 6th, not Donald Trump. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. I, I'm getting bored with that whole January 6th thing. It's it's much to do about nothing. And unfortunately, a bunch of the people that went there have now ended up sitting in prison for a year with no yes. charges. Um, yes. In solitary confinement. But that's part of the American experience. God damn it. Oh, this is this is the I world order right. that needs to go. Well, and you know, how do we come back from this? And I well, was I, I don't this. know if you saw, but uh, uh, Russia officially uh, put out a, a notice that uh, if any United States states would like to secede from the United States, that uh, they need to open a conversation with Russia yep. about uh, full support and guarantee of their uh, independence. Yeah, and you know what? Um, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I'm of the opinion that Texas should absolutely secede and, you know, uh, move should away. Should we have from Russia yes. as a guarantor of our secession rates? Um, 
sure, they can acknowledge us internationally and maintain us as a free and independent uh, state. Should but, Texas uh, have trade with Russia? Sure. Free trade with uh, every nation. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, there are two bumper stickers on my truck. One says uh, bravery, not obedience. And the other says secede. Mm-hmm. So that, that should tell you where I, where I fall in this. <laughs> Did you go to any of the Texas independence movement events? They just had a whole bunch of them. Uh, I haven't been to any lately, but I have been to them. Um, yeah, they just I, did. I, I didn't go either, but they had like the, on the same day, they had, I think, over 100 events. Well, and you know, the in current polling, uh, it's around 30% of the state of Texas thinks we should secede. And it's interesting that there's I another. Think it's, I think it depends on how you phrase it because it's 30 people think we should, but then another. I think it was 36% are not opposed. Well, the way the latest poll that I saw was 30 some odd percent uh, are pro, vocally right. pro secession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then mm-hmm. there was another 20 some odd percent that were mm-hmm. unsure. And then mm-hmm. there was 20, you know, the remainder yeah. that was. It's a, basically against. the Californians that moved to Texas are the ones that want to stay in the union because they still have property. To an extent, yes. Well, yeah, I don't know, man. It's, um, you know, when I was down in Mexico, I was mostly surrounded by Californians and Brits. That's the two yeah. biggest groups of people that were there when I was there. That sucks. Brits and Californians. Uh, and I think, that I don't is... know if I told you about this. I, I, I On the elevator, I was going up with a, uh, a couple. Um, these are the Californians, and then they... You know, said something about how much they loved the place. I usually do small talk in an elevator. I'm one of those people. And um, they mentioned that, yeah, they, they come down here pretty regularly from California. And I said, oh, California. You know, we got a bunch of Californians moving to Texas. And their response was, yeah, we're so glad to be rid of those people. They're not real Californians anyway. That's hilarious. And I, and, and I was like, I had to think for a moment. It's like, do I even bother responding or did I just leave it alone? <laughs> well, it, you know, it's interesting because on the ballot, um, there is a uh, part of uh, Eastern Oregon that has on the ballot right now to become yeah. part of greater Idaho. Which yeah, be which they've been pushing for years and well, years. The, so the state of Jefferson project has been a thing for years, but it actually being on the ballot is. <clears throat> yeah. And I, and I think, uh, and their whole thing is like this is not changing anything for for Idaho, you know, because they're not gonna like gain any more seats in the house or anything. This is a this has more to do with who we feel that we our lifestyle and our, our mentality is more like yeah. people in Idaho than it is people on the west coast of Oregon. It it come it comes down to we don't want Portlandia governing yeah. us. And yeah, exactly. by the way, if anyone has ever watched the show Portlandia, it is yes, a nonfiction show. It is a documentary. It well, it's a cartoon, but <laughs> not at all. Not at it, all. It is, it's a little bit of a cartoon, but it's damn close. Yeah, it literally is there. I, I worked there for nine months, and uh, I worked there right when Portlandia's first season was starting, and I was like, "Holy shit, did they have this exactly right?" Yeah, it is uh, absolutely on the money. And it, it's funny because other than really Portland, um, the rest of the state is very normal and conservative. That's true of a lot of states. I think once you get out in the boonies, people are not liberals anymore. 
Um, and it's a, it's also a beautiful state. This is, this is the problem that I've said. I love California and California is awesome. I just hate Californians. And if you can get rid of the Californians from California, it would make for a great place to live because the, the climate's great. There's nature there. There's all kinds of cool stuff. <clears throat> get rid of the environmental bullshit regulations. You could actually turn it into a productive state as well. Uh, North California is also gorgeous with all the redwoods and everything. I mean, it's, it's a place you'd like to be other than the fact that it has communists occupying it. Well, and the same thing's true of Portland and Washington. Yeah. Um, yeah the entire, that whole West coast strip. Oregon, Washington. Yeah. It, it, I mean, the entire West coast is absolutely gorgeous. Um, yeah. you know, it, it really is. Um, but you know, Washington has a similar divide. Um, oh, yeah. California yeah. has similar divides. And I, I think what you're going to see is, you know, what's going to happen if that vote actually goes through? I mean, it's non-binding at this point. But I, I, I think the U.S., especially if we do not survive this, if we don't have a new Marshall Plan for the uh, for Europe to rebuild our economy with, if this does really tank and goes bad, Mm-hmm. You're going to see political realignment. You're going to see oh, yeah. a, 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 at least a shifting in state borders, if not a absolute breakup of the United States. So do we take Oklahoma with us as we rightfully own that territory? Uh, you know, we can take Oklahoma parts of uh, Wyoming, and I think we bring along Louisiana just to help them out. <laughs> just to help them out. Because Colorado is definitely on the California side of the spectrum. Oh, absolutely. Ignore California, ignore New Mexico, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, up to about Casper, I think we can take with us. Uh, Oklahoma definitely will come along. Uh, Louisiana, the reason why I say we take Louisiana along with us is because of, you know, Western Louisiana uh, is politically aligned. Parts of Eastern Louisiana are not. But what I would Mm -hmm. say is the refining capacity. You combine Texas and Louisiana on, on the refining capacity front, and uh, we're, we're one of the largest uh, oil producers and refiners in the world. At that point. Yeah, it sounds to me like you're just trying to pony up to Putin. Uh, yeah, Controlling no, all the uh, raw supplies of energy. Well, I mean, the rest of the United States wants to go electric, so they don't need us. Yeah. Um, but I think if you look at what happened after Ian and what's going on with all the Teslas in Florida, it's absolutely hilarious. <clears throat> Battery cars have proven that they are not the way to go. Yeah. Did I, you see that? Did I you see not. Florida's what, recommendation what, if your car what, was submerged and disabled in your garage to to push it out of your house because of the oh, fires so that are up. happening? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I mean, I have had an iPad here on my desk that has decided to disassemble itself because the battery's starting to deteriorate. Um, so lithium batteries are fairly active. Um, so yeah, that's uh, well. I mean, not it, bad it's advice. hilarious that we all go through these TSA screenings, and you know, we we go through all of this, but the amount of lithium that I take on a plane every time I fly. Not supposed to. What, what do you mean? I mean, that's part of the the regulations. They tell you is that you should place all batteries into checked luggage. 
No, you should remove batteries from checked luggage. Or removed. Yeah, you're right. It's the other way yeah. around. Remove be, all the Because they don't want uncontrolled yeah. fires in the cargo compartment. Yeah, yeah. So it they means it should be on your person. Under your seat. <laughs> right. But here, here's the funny part. So I have a big battery pack that I take with me. I've got my cell phone. I've got two laptops. You know, I've got uh, several pounds of lithium-ion mm. battery with me. Mm. If I wanted to make that into a incendiary device... You know, oh, yeah, it would be talking, a bad day. You won't be allowed in an airplane. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. Uh, mm. The fact of the matter is, I'm surprised I'm allowed on a plane as it. So. Dude, in Mexico, they 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 wouldn't let my leather man through. They made me check my luggage because of the leather man. Uh, well, that's pretty normal. That's stupid. I always travel with it. It's a knife. It's not a knife. It's pliers. It, it, does it have a knife blade on it? No, it's a TSA compliant version of the Leatherman. Really? It has no knife. It's just pliers and, uh, you know, toothpicks. You're going to have to send things. me a link to that one because I didn't Every know that Every company makes it now. I bought this <laughs> as soon as it came out like seven years ago. I'll have to get one. Yeah. Yeah. It's the it's same exact shit, just no knife. Why did they make you check it? What was their rationale? <clears throat> well, in, in, you know, my poor Spanish and their poor English, the explanation was that all, according to Spanish TSA equivalent law, uh, that it says that all knives and portable tools need to go and check luggage. Interesting. So it's, it's ambivalent enough that clearly they didn't want to bother saying any tools that have a knife should go into check luggage. They're like, mm -hmm. no, if it's a if it's a folding tool, it goes into <laughs> luggage. But a screwdriver, that's okay. Uh, I suspect they would make me check a screwdriver. You know, that, the way the language, thing. the way the language actually said it, I, I suspect screwdriver would have to be checked. That's another thing that people need to think about. So I'm allowed to fly with a screwdriver. You shouldn't be. That's an all. Well, but the, under TSA regulations, you are. Yeah. So well, I guess they're thinking if you don't have your Leatherman, then you can't really like sharpen the screwdriver into something that you could use as a weapon. Well, but here's the thing. If we think box cutters took over the planes during 9-11, why can't yeah. I do something similar with a screwdriver? You could. Keep talking. Oh. You won't fly. <laughs> I, I don't think you could. That's my point. <laughs> you don't think? Oh, dude, piercing wounds are nasty. They are. But you know what would happen if I tried? I would be gang rushed and taken down. So why weren't the hijackers? No, you wouldn't be because you don't have a big beard. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing they look for. It's the beard. The beard is well, a you're, clear How do you indicator. ever fly, G? I know, right? That's it's it's always a pain in the ass to fly because uh, they always assume the worst. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's known fact that over fifty percent of hijackers have had beards. Oh man. Oh. Mm -hmm. So, do you think there is any way? for the U.S. out of this current economic situation, or are we just going to go down? Because I, I think it's a toss-up. Well, best, when you say me. any way out, do you mean back to what, though, is the question? Um, Like back to Trump days, back to Clinton days, back to Carter days? Yeah, I will go back to Carter days, I think. I would say at least second half of Reagan. No, that <laughs> on the stock market. Again. That happened only once. Yeah. Oh, oh man! It, yeah, I, if you if you're living through the fall of Rome, you can't be sitting there going, "How do we fix Rome?" 
How do we how do we get this back to the republic that was great? Well, the question is, do we fall from the republic and go into empire? Because that that is a possibility. Because or do we just skip the empire stage and collapse? Right? Do we go from the republic to Constantinople? Be, or what? I don't know that you can be an empire having left nothing worth to conquer. Like well, you could I don't still know. Be we an, might go into Haiti. Well, we we are going into Haiti. It sounds like yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. So this has a potential to become a big disaster for the U.S. We have no business being in Haiti. Uh, there'll be a lot of people that start taking advantage of it. And you know how I was saying, what happens when Russia decides to support Mexican cartels? Mm-hmm. What happens when Russia decides to support the opposition in Haiti with cutting edge weapons? Well, um, first of all, they got to get it there. And, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, that's would be stopped by the U S. So the U S is going to start shooting down Russian planes flying across the Atlantic. Potentially. <laughs> so the, so Russia should be shooting down American planes, bringing military equipment to Ukraine right now. Then, Dude, we are very close to this. I mean, it, the U.S. lives by such a bizarre, you know, worldview where they have the ability to do things that nobody else can. Well, that's because it's, of bizarre. The th- it's the threat that we have maintained for, you know, since World War II. Well, no, we had balance between World War II and the 1990s. We had a, we had this assumption that if we do something, the we have to assume there will be a measured response, and that balance that existed meant that we were looking to come up with faster technological and better technological solutions, not to just do anything we wanted to. The U.S. was extremely constrained in its abilities to do things between World War II and, and the mid-90s. Uh, there, there was a, a lot of people that were paid good money to do um, opposition research. And for I feel like for the last 25 years, that all disappeared, and the U.S. is operating as though it exists in a vacuum. And I think this started really... Well, it started with in the fall of the USSR. It started in 1992 with the uh, American invasion of Iraq. Well, and the fall of Russia and our seen ability and supremacy of we're going to go in and do this under You're not necessarily right. the greatest circumstances, yes, and the rest of the world is just going to let us do it, and we got away with it. Yeah. That's the thing is, yeah. well, why wouldn't we have this opinion when <laughs> we did this and no one stopped us. No one even sanctioned us or stood up to us. It was mm-hmm. just, uh, okay, the U.S. is doing this. Yeah. But I don't know, man. I think there's a real potential risk here that um, that we're going to have Haiti turn into something very unpleasant for the U.S. Um, well, at the very least, it's going to be very, un- even if the rest of the world does not do anything, it's going to be very unpleasant because you know, the Haitian people um, have been, it, it is nothing but a bomb waiting to go off, whether exactly. it's international exactly. scrutiny or a very good go- way of putting it. Us going in there, it, it, it will breed nothing but terrorism. I mean, even if we go in, peace yep. keep, do whatever, try to annex, it's not going to be good. 
No, no. And what's this going to do to the Dominican? Well, the Dominican Republic is already very, very um, protective of that border, we'll say. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that that's the question. Are we just going to take over the, the downtrodden portion of the island? I don't think so. I think if the U.S. does anything, it's going to be trying to annex a, a, annex that island. Yep. Which um, it, I don't see as beneficial, but. Yeah. I mean, right now, and Russia is only exporting about 10 million bucks worth of products to Haiti. It's not all that much. And to be clear, the, what we're talking about is currently, um, I think it's Port-au-Prince, the uh, main uh, importation of the terminal for importation of fuel into Haiti is being uh, blockaded and the importation of fuel stopped by a separatist group in Haiti mm-hmm. and the U S just dispatched a coast guard cutter to international waters, which granted Haiti doesn't have much of a, uh, it doesn't have anything that could defend against it. So it's, you know, it's a minor force yeah. from international standpoint, but at the yeah. same time compared to the Haitians capabilities is, you know, um, oh, yeah. Well, they're in a significant. So, I mean, this is more of a typical U.S. war action where we're coming into somebody mm-hmm. that's 30, 40 years behind the U.S. technologically. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, man, I just, I'm very leery of that That's because that's a lot closer to home here. And I well, think it, it, is. It, it, it could, and I don't want to be a total black pill about it, but uh, it could very easily start resulting in uh, terrorist bombs going off in the U.S., I, I, yeah, I, I, I think if there's actual U.S. involvement, which right now there is very no likely. U.S. military involvement. No, well, today there isn't, but it's very likely. It sure seems like it. And, you know, here, here's the thing. Um, the current president of Haiti is a U.S. stooge. The Haitian people can't stand him. And they're standing up yep. to him. There's infighting in Haiti. And we're mm-hmm. going to go in there and support our guy. And yep. that's going to breed nothing but absolute resentment and problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I don't like this move at all. I, I don't think the U.S. Coast Guard should operate in international waters at all. But I'm no fan of the Coast Guard for many reasons. <laughs> yes, you have personal involvement there. Yeah, I have personal animosity towards the U.S. Coast Guard. That is for sure. Yeah. Um, hmm. What else do you see playing out with Haiti? I mean, I just think it's close to the U.S. It's a powder keg waiting to explode. There is no good thing that the U.S. can do other than stay away. And uh, I think that given the can of can of worms that's been opened by the U.S. In involvement in overseas operations, I fully expect China and Russia and all the BRICS countries to leverage Haiti against the U.S. Well, and we should say why the Haitians are not, the Haitian people are not big fans of the U.S. And that's because of the Bushes and the Clintons. And the, yeah, and, the Clintons, exactly. Yeah. You know, we're, well, Bush, the Bush crime family was deeply involved, right? Uh, George W. Bush saying, I know you want to send water and blankets, but just send your cash. Mm-hmm. And that resulted in money being taken away from the Haitian people. Haiti has never been rebuilt. Yeah. And like you said, they've been living in the Stone Age and they're fucking tired of it. Yep. So, 
Yeah. And it's an opportunity for anybody that doesn't like what the U.S. has been doing for the last year or longer. It's an opportunity to stick it to the U.S. Because all these conflicts, all these things that are happening have all been somewhere else. They've been mm-hmm. in Europe. They've been in the Middle East. They, they've been in Asia. Now, I think a lot of countries are looking at Haiti and wringing their hands and going, okay, U.S., now it's time to bring something back to you guys. Well, and, you know, had the U.S. gone in uh, after the earthquake and actually rebuilt Haiti and said, okay, look, you have a failed government here. We're going to come in. We're going to rebuild. We're going to help. We're, we're going to invest in Haiti. Oh, by the way, do you want to join the U.S. as a protectorate, you know, a la Puerto Rico? Mm-hmm. I think the Haitian people would have probably at that time absolutely gone for it Mm -hmm. but now we've given lip service talked them over and they're not friends of the u.s no well and we've got god knows how many people crossing the texas border right now we're gonna have a whole slew of quasi-official haitian refugees coming into florida Mm -hmm. and again refugees being accepted is a great way to cross the border for any nefarious purposes as well. Absolutely. So I'm very concerned about this. This is this is going to bring conflict a lot closer to home for the US. Well, and and here's the thing. Uh and in the US as we currently exist, it's not like you have to have an operative bring a bomb in. You just have no, to get the operative in here. and then yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, and it it's absolutely ridiculously easy to make those things um and i think the uh the i don't think that a lot of people in the u.s realize just what types of benefits physical isolation has been bringing to the u.s for a long long time just not being near any conflicts physically means that you just don't have to worry about things that most of the rest of the world has to worry about the U.S. has only had to defend one border in the last hundred plus years. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> having uh, the Canadians on our northern border and them being as amenable as they are ever since, you know, post well, war of 1812. Well, they're these days, but... Well, the Trudeau side of the government is, sure, but yeah. I don't think, I think other than... Again, the liberal East and Vancouver, uh, the majority of Canada is pretty, pretty okay. I think they've allowed themselves to be voted into a position that I think the U.S. is heading to and that I don't want to see, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, their gun control laws alone uh, are just absolutely insane. And that, that is the one thing keeping America where we are is how many citizens are armed and to what extent. Although I will say they do have one gun that I've been kind of looking at that is available in Canada, but not available in the U S what's that. It's, um, an SKS bullpup. Oh, oh, I mean, you can make an SKS into a bullpup. I'm not talking about making, I mean, I'm talking about buying the actual thing from the factory. Yeah. But why would you want an SKS bullpup? Cause I like bullpups. I do too, but the SKS is not a modern weapon and, you know, 
I mean, I appreciate the SKS for what it is. I have a couple of them, but you know, it's no, you have a model of an SKS and SKS is not a design and SKS is the manufacturer. So this is a modern design that is manufactured in that factory. Okay. I didn't know SKS was still, uh, I think SKS refers to the specific rifle, not the manufacturer. Uh, nope. Really? There's only one gun that I've ever known from that manufacturer. I know, it's the ones that were brought over to the U.S. It's like people think that, that, you know, AK is a factory. Yeah, it's the redneck (laughs) hunting rifle. (laughs) No, uh, but look, they're making more modern weapons. They're not anywhere near on par with what, like, the Israelis are making in their bullpups. Um, It's it's a lot more crude. But I don't know, if I could get my hands on one, I would certainly pick one up. But and uh, when I started doing the research, I found that they're literally right now available in Canada, but not available in the U.S. because they're on the you know they're on the list. We we can't yeah the importation evil, ban. What, the what's the uh, is it the SKS AR? Uh, I can't remember the model. I thought it had a number in its name, like SKS ninety eight or something or something like that. Okay. You'll have to send it to me after this. I'll send you one. There's our obligatory uh, gun talk. Gun talk. Oh, I do have, well, I can't remember last time I talked about which guns I got, but I did have one thing that I need to go pick up uh, that's the store, but uh, I haven't picked up yet. I bought a lower, finally, Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm going to build my own 300 Blackout. Okay, cool. Why why are you choosing that round? Uh, It's the only round I don't have currently. I mean, that's an exaggeration. <laughs> There's plenty of rounds I don't have. But of that common rounds of that size, I kind of went from being, I only want to have one type of ammo to keep to now having like a dozen <laughs> different ammos that I need to keep. And I this is the one I'm missing. So I'm like, fuck it. I'll just get it. I'll build one. I'll build a 300 blackout. Yeah. You're going to go uh, pistol or what? Uh, yeah. It's a pistol uh, AR lower. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, it, let's talk about that. That's a good transition. Um, I've heard something a little bit scary the other day on video with the the uh, the forthcoming ATF uh, restriction on pistol braces. Mm-hmm. Um, now, my assumption on this has always been that this this flip-flopping back and forth on pistol braces saying yes they're legal and and now it sounds like they're going to make them illegal Mm -hmm. even though nothing changed they've just changed their mind um the silver lining i I always saw in this is that uh since they're going to make something illegal that over six million people already own they can't well just show up and take it away from you Six million weapons exist. I don't sure, know. Sure, fair enough. Okay, so like six people own a million weapons each, and uh, whatever the number is, um, it's a lot of stuff. It's more than what bump stumps, bump stocks were anyway. Absolutely, much more popular. Way more popular. For a while, almost every gun could be purchased in this variant. A lot of companies, like Sig, for example, have already stopped selling guns with um, any any version of a, uh, um, what do you call them? A shooting brace. Brace, yeah. No braces at all. So guns either come with nothing at all on the back, so it's just a pistol, or they come with um, a stock. Uh, 
But my assumption of the silver lining was that they they can't make you get rid of it. So while you're filling out the paperwork to pay the, the extra stamp fees for your braces, at least you get to still use the gun. And um, what this current uh, guy that was, uh, it was a YouTube video that I watched, was talking about, is they discovered some of their, like, as usual, you know, preliminary drafts or whatever. And what they're now saying is that these bump stocks need to be destroyed. You mean so you shooting can, braces? Uh, sorry, these shooting braces need to be destroyed. So you can keep the gun and you can pay the, the fee for the fact that it has a short barrel, but you can't keep the brace. You have to have proof of destruction. Yeah, but what they're saying is that you need to destroy the brace and it once you register it as a SBR, then you can put any sort of stock on it. But not the brace. They they want to get rid of all these braces. They their their policy is to have no braces be available in the United States. Which I mean, let's be honest, the brace is a loophole around the SBR, but for the love of God, the SBR thing shouldn't be an NFA item to begin with. Absolutely. I I fully agree with that. It's like but, suppressors. Suppressors shouldn't be an NFA item at all. But I mean, making a distinction between what type of, uh, what shape of stock can be on the firearm or not be on the firearm, I mm-hmm. think goes well above what Congress uh, gave them the power to regulate. Oh, absolutely. The ATF is absolutely a runaway entity at this point. Yeah. You get no so, disagreement with me on that one. Uh, it's one thing to make you pay the 200 bucks tax on something you already own, but it's another thing to do that and then make you destroy it. Well, I have a bigger problem with the NFA than the tax. If I could just go down to the post office and buy a tax stamp and say, okay, I now own this. Cool. Great. But that's not how that works. You have to go through the background check process. You have to do lots of things. You have to register Mm -hmm. with the ATF. That's the problem I have with the NFA from a rights standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. If the government wants to tax something, can they? Sure. But my eligibility to pay said tax should then not be regulated. If I want to go into economic activity of whatever kind um, and purchase an item and they want to tax that item, I can be okay with that. But so, the background one check of the... and re- restrictions is the problem. Yeah, yeah. One of the lawyers on, on YouTube also was talking about how the idea that uh, guns have a sales tax is unconstitutional because uh, the Supreme Court is in the number of trials held that uh, constitutionally described activities cannot be taxed. This is why you can't have, for example, a tax on voting. Well. So that, that if that ever got a Supreme Court decision that said constitutional activities can't be taxed and regulated, yep. mm-hmm. then that would be awesome because then there would be no driver's licenses. Yeah. The problem with all this is that no cases are allowed to go up to the Supreme Court to well, challenge these things. The Supreme Court just kicked a suppressor case down the road. Now, I don't think they're going to be able to kick the Texas case down the road because of the inter 
interstate commerce bit, mm-hmm. but you know, um, and by the way, we have people are like, what the hell is he talking about? Driver's licenses wouldn't exist. Um, the right to travel is enshrined in the constitution as one of your freedoms. Uh, um, it, it is interstate. Travel. Travel. So you, yes, yeah, so you, you can't be, for example, here's what, what can't happen, which would be held illegal is if California at its border crossings, which they already have border crossings with guards there. It's just that they're allegedly checking for produce, which is such bullshit. But anyway, uh, if at those border crossings, they also charged you a $10 fee to cross over into California, that would be held illegal. Yeah, um, I think that would be a better case would be Texas defending its borders against Californians <laughs> and restricting immigration. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's more than just interstate right to travel. Now. Here, here's the thing. Um, yeah, you but, can't the, but have it, the it incorporation you can have toll roads. You can have no, no, no. R- roads that well, charge money to be on them. But those are usually privatized, not the state. Um, here, here's the thing. You, you can't have the incorporation doctrine both ways. So I very much believe that the U.S. Constitution should only apply to the federal government and not to the mm-hmm. states. And then the state constitution should only apply to the state. That is my belief. That said, that is not the current interpretation of yeah, the courts. I don't, I don't like that. I'm on the other side of that because I don't want the Second Amendment or any of the amendments. I don't want the First Amendment to be up to the decision of the states individually. Well, but the states have their own guarantee of rights, and that's why. Yeah, it but what if be a state way? like California says anything? Then good. Then that's why illegal. you can travel and move to a different state. I don't like that. I, okay. I think that. Well, but anyway, so the incorporation doctrine is a thing. It's the way you want it. So then the right to travel cannot be restricted by the state. Right. Yeah. So that my, my entire argument is here. Okay. The incorporation doctrine exists. This is the way we're going. Okay, fine. I don't like that because I think states should be free and autonomous in, in a larger federation. But okay. If we're going to apply that logic, well, then what the we hell is the federation the of entire... the states can do anything they want, regardless of any federal laws? Uh, because it's uh, the powers are very much singularly enumerated to to the federal government right right the ability to control interstate commerce being the worst worded one okay so the federal government controls interstate commerce but every state has laws that are contrary to the constitution yes that's the principle of nullification that's what our founders literally did in opposition to shitty federal laws very early on is a state law can nullify a federal law within its own borders. Absolutely. Uh, I think that leads to a lot of trouble. I think that well, leads to what a it leads to. Okay, they had just fought one, and that's what they did because they did not want an all-powerful federal government. So no, what it comes down to is: are you a are you a but, Texan? Are you, are you an American? Right. right? How do you and, view it? Well, I view it as a Texan, obviously, but okay. I think that there's a. <clears throat> like here's the thing if if we had what you're describing then i would be in favor of armed conflict with the united states from texas right now i literally have a secede bumper sticker on my truck i'm not talking about secession i'm talking about war uh, yeah. i want to i want to conquer the rest of the country and make their laws like texas laws or you can be a peaceful neighbor and say, you know no, what, y'all can fuck do whatever fucked up thing nope, you want to nope, do. Not We're not happen. doing this. We're doing this. We're <laughs> going to conquer the rest of the country 
and bring our freedom to them, whether they want it or not. Yeah. Uh, okay, George W. Bush. <clears throat> well, he was from here too, I guess. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 do not. He is not a Texan. I'm sorry. Well, he lived here. Now, was he born in Kenny Bunkport or is he born here? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Because I know but, his dad was obviously born in Kenny Bunkport. Yeah. I, you can Google it, but I, he is, he's a Mainer. He's not a Texan as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I will on the behalf of the rest he's, of the state of Texas in- <laughs> disown him and his family, given their treasonous roots. If, fair enough. But, uh, <laughs> if he was born here, he, he's definitely a Texan. Well, all right. Well, you talk while I Google. Okay, well, you go ahead and Google. I don't know. I'm trying to think of what... Oh, I know what else I was going to talk about. So you're not a video game guy. I'm obviously a lot more of that than than you are. You used to be, I guess. Um, I recently, after my vacation here, started playing a new video game for me. It's not a new video game, though. uh, Called Cyberpunk 2077. And So just to put the record straight, he was uh born in New Haven, Connecticut. Not oh, well, there you go. So this is not a Texan. Yeah, I'll go with, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. Um, and I took the advice of people that were very eager for this game on YouTube when it came out. It came out about a year ago. Everybody was bitching about how it's too buggy and it's just not ready yet. And really, you should, you should not buy it and you shouldn't play it because it's way too buggy. And the advice was just wait like a while. So I waited a year. And I finally got it. Um, and so I've been playing it for a couple of days. Is, and holy shit, is this a great game, dude. What, what's the storyline? Uh, so the storyline is cyberpunk. I mean, it's the name of the game. It takes place in the very sort of dystopian cyberpunk future, meaning Blade Runner-esque uh, kind of uh, Gibson cyberpunk series, Neuromancer-esque kind of future where um it's how many what 50 years in the future and uh corporations are really in control of everything uh government's job is essentially to ensure that corporations are not interfered with in what they're so trying to do kind of like uh alien-esque universe in the same sort of way uh yeah 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 but on earth and uh, closer to our current time frame, not not spaceshipy. So cyberpunk, some people have described as uh, sci-fi without spaceships. Okay, because it takes place on the planet, right? Mm-hmm. But um, and there have been a bunch of TV shows and movies in, in this particular genre. Uh, but it's an adult game. There's a ton of not just violence but sex. Uh, your characters can have sex, um, and uh, you're dealing with a lot of topics like that that are very adult in nature. But also because of that, the storyline so and question. theme. Hold on, uh-huh. question. Yeah, yeah. In the theme of Grand Theft Auto or Leisure yeah. Suit Larry? No, Grand Theft Auto, but. More like an adult and not a teenage. I feel like Grand Theft Auto was like a teenage vision of this would be fun to do. So Grand Theft Auto is I, I just, I just less didn't know adult if it was going into game. the uh, realm of the leisure suit. No, no, no. It, 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 well, it's it's just more fetish, I guess I would say. 
Gotcha. Right. And so you've got, obviously, all kinds of prostitution and everything else is legal. Uh, and one of the tenants As of, it should be in a free society, of, if you own exactly. your body, you know. Uh, in Cyberpunk, one of the tenets, of course, is is uh, the progression of augmentation. And so everyone's essentially a cyborg. Uh, everyone's got some kind of augmented parts, whether that's, uh, you know, replacement bones or joints uh, for faster movement or stronger hands or whatever. Um, everyone's got essentially... Uh, chips that connect them to the internet. Uh, everyone's plugged in. Um, so a part of the game is hacking. And um, uh, did you ever read Neuromancer or any of those books? I didn't read Neuromancer, but I've read um, plenty of uh, genre. Oh, the Commonwealth series. I forget mm -hmm. who wrote it. Uh, it's very much in the same vein. Yeah, yeah, but even even stuff like Ready Player One, I think is kind of in that type of universe yeah, as well. yeah 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 so people live a lot of them you have a world which is extremely divided between the the corpos which are the people that have you know everything quote unquote and uh work for these corporations and then everybody else who has very little and they're in the gig economy and so they're they're running various odd jobs or working as prostitutes or whatever um mm -hmm. the the playability of the game is very similar to grand theft auto uh in that it's a massive huge huge world map first person seamless. or third person first person okay. uh cool. you go go anywhere do pretty much anything you want there's uh ever, the city is the city is called night city and it's absolutely gorgeously lit with neon I did a little bit on um, on Twitch last night, playing it on Twitch, uh, which I'm going to probably continue doing as long as I'm playing this game because it's very pretty. Uh, it's a game with great visuals. Gene but on uh, Twitch, next thing you know, it'll be a fans only channel. Yeah, well, there's already those jokes have already been made a long time ago. Uh, I've been on Twitch forever, dude. I've been on Twitch for like seven years. I just don't stream very often. Okay. No, not like I have a big following or anything. I've just, I've just never found Twitch very appealing. It's, it's really not. The, it, the, the reason I use it is because it's literally an app with one button that I can push that just starts streaming. And uh, I have had some, like when I was doing American Truck Simulator, uh, I actually had a bunch of people from Noja on the Social come down and be in there and watch what I'm, where I'm driving and uh, chat with me while I'm doing it. It could be fun. But uh, anyway, absolutely gorgeous game. But holy shit, the uh, the stuff is in terms of symbology and uh, language is right out of the No Agenda playbook. Uh, I mean, it's it's all these sort I've of. Gotta, I've got to do this to you. What symbolism? I got to channel William Defoe and say what, symbolism. What did I say? What symbology. Did I say? Symbology is a word. Yes, symbology yeah. is a word. It's the study of symbolism. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, okay, okay. So I, I use the wrong Sorry. definition. Sure, you, you give me crap the symbolism. about the nuclear versus nuclear. So yeah, I yeah. Gotta, I well, that's a pronunciation issue. So I didn't mispronounce something. I just used the wrong word. Is what you're saying? Yes. So okay. that's fair. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. <laughs> I'm hey. I'm all about uh, trying to improve myself here. I have no qualms about somebody correcting me if I'm wrong. 
as rarely as it happens. <laughs> as rarely as it happens. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, so the, the idea in this game is it is you're obviously playing not the high end corporate character. Uh, you're playing, uh, kind of a scrappy, uh, underdog person and you're plucky dealing upstart. with plucky upstart and you're dealing with a bunch of, uh, a bunch of, let's just say people with morals of varying degrees of looseness and uh pulling off heists and doing jobs it is similar to grand theft auto in those regards okay but just the visually all all the 1984 style symbology is there with but but skewed from government to corporations which i think is more similar to where we're living today where the place of government by 2077 it has kind of gone to the point of the representative from Coca-Cola and the representative from Pizza Hut instead of the representative from, you know, a geographic area. Um, and the corporations are the ones that are fighting each other and trampling on people while they're doing that. Uh, the, the advertisements are just all X-rated for any type of product, literally like for soft drink products, they're X-rated advertisements. How do you make an X-rated advertisement for a soft drink product? Uh, you have a the name of the product uh, it makes you think of sex, and you have a picture of a naked chick. Okay. I mean, it's uh, everything has a a very blatant double entendre kind of wording. Okay, so, so it's very oversexualized the way we're it's taking oversexualized. Everything. Yes, yes, that's a good way of phrasing it. It's oh, it, everything is overtly, overly sexualized. All fetishes are normal. You know, you'll have a store with a bunch of uh, of uh, fists and dildos in the window for the store, right next to uh, like a, a burger shop, because they're it's just normal. You know, they're just selling normal stuff. Um, so what you're saying is this is very predictive of where we're going with the, you know, normalization of maps and everything else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And in, I mean, in general, I think the summer punk genre was always a dystopian subgenre. Like it's looking at a future that is never particularly bright and cheery. It's always looking at the dystopian future and usually a character that overcomes odds within that future but is not like a leader character but more of a plucky upstart type character and this game is absolutely i think captured that perfectly so anyone who's a hashtag gamer and has not grabbed uh cyberpunk 2077 I don't know if it's on sale at all. I don't think it's on sale, but uh, it's been out for a year. They fixed all the bugs that people were complaining about, and they did have a lot of bugs. If you watch some of the older videos, they're pretty funny with cars getting stuck or things have being upside down or just bad geometry in the game. Um, but uh, at this point, I think all of that stuff has been corrected. I haven't experienced any of these types of bugs. What was um, the name of the game again? Cyberpunk what? 2077 and uh 
Uh, Keanu Reeves is one of the uh, actors in it. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I think he's the only, well, he's certainly the only guy I recognize. There might be other actors that are, other people may recognize. I didn't really recognize anybody other than him. But he basically, just like in every movie he's been in, he plays himself. Um, so you get the same <laughs> kind of guy. How did he uh, play himself in uh, as Neo? Did, yeah, exactly. That's it's that persona, you know, that same persona. Okay. Whoa. Um, it looks like it's available on uh, Steam. So yeah, yeah, that's where I got it. It's on Steam. Uh, so are you looking at a price? Is it like forty bucks, fifty bucks? What's that? I didn't click through. I didn't oh, okay. open up Steam. I just searched. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, it, it is in Steam. Um, you know, I, I, I'm assuming it's in the $50-ish range right around there, plus or minus. But I have to give them my if, birthday to view this page. Yes, because it's adults only. You can't be under 18 to look at this yeah, game. It's $60, uh, $60 60 game. So it's 59 bucks. yeah. Uh, they're all in that general price range these days. It's, I mean, honestly, I remember in the 80s paying 30 bucks for video games. So compared to the price of most things, video games have actually gone up very little. They, yeah, uh, and I, I don't know if you do this or not, but have you ever played on uh, any of the games on GOG, GRG, good old games? Yeah, I'm not a fan of old stuff, except for music. Um, I, I mainly prefer to play photorealistic games. And, uh, so much like with a lot of technology, I can't wait to get the latest, newest thing. Uh, so I don't have that whole kind of nostalgia thing for crappy looking video games that a lot of people seem to have. Cause I actually played those when they were, when they were new, when they first came out. I mean, this isn't photorealistic though. It's pretty close. It's it's more anime-ish is what the trailer Oh, no, no, no. Is. It's uh, <laughs> on, a, on a 4K monitor on a nicely built computer. This thing is absolutely photorealistic. The colors are bright, but okay. uh, but everything is shaded properly. That's there's It's not flat like anime is. Um, anyway, so I just wanted to kind of bring that out. Uh, obviously, it's not like I'm getting paid to promote the game, but... I've been playing it. I'll probably do some more stuff on uh, Twitch. Um, Atlas Rand Gaming is my Twitch name, if you're interested in that. <laughs> Atlas Rand? Yeah. Interesting. Uh-huh. Good choice. Well, it was a combination that you obviously know where it derives from, but all other combinations were taken. <laughs> so that's what I got. Okay. Uh, like uh, 30 years ago, and I just stuck with it. Yeah, but I yeah. Ahead. So if you see an Atlas random in most things, it's probably me. Uh, but yeah, it's fun. I think uh, again, I know you don't play games, but I think if you watch some of the videos, you would see what I'm talking about and see it is extremely enjoyable. Uh, and the, if I needed to just sum it up in a, a couple of sentences, it is kind of like playing Grand Theft Auto in a um a, a universe that is very, very much a, uh, no agenda universe. So everything from Monsanto to, you know, Alex Jones type stuff to, uh, 33, all of that shit's in the game. Which um, we should talk about Alex Jones. 
Yeah. So, uh, sure. Let's, uh, what are your thoughts? Um, it's utterly insane and meaningless that they are trying to, uh, award quote unquote, the Sandy Hook families, a billion dollars that will never be repaid. They're essentially making Alex Jones an an indentured servant for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. I think that was the goal. Well, I mean, it's sad because, you know, free speech systems, the LLC that owns InfoWars is essentially going to be a zombie and an indentured servant. And I've got to find Ironic a different source for Ironic how free speech becomes uh, an yeah. indentured servant, is it? Yeah, it is. I'm going to have to find a new supplement supplier for a couple of things. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, no, it, it's, it, and they did this again without a trial. Uh, de facto yeah. findings against them. It was just about what was going to be awarded, which I think it, this actually is to his benefit, uh, gives him a very good chance of appeal if he even will bother or just do the bankruptcy yeah. thing and let them take X amount. I don't know what he's going to, which direction well, he's going to go there. Didn't they, <coughs> excuse me, didn't they personally find him? Not, not just the corporation? That the, the way the bankruptcy court is handling it, he mm-hmm. has to pay X amount personally for is my understanding, but I could <clears throat> Okay. Yeah, I haven't looked into it at all, but I think, uh, I think it was joint. Well, joint several liabilities so that it's, re- it's both him regardless, and the corporation. So here's the thing. Regardless of the jury awarding that, there are statutory yeah. limits. Keep, keep talking. I'm going to grab a drink real quick. Yeah, there are statutory limits that are well below this <laughs> threshold. He is in no way going to pay this month, that amount of money. It's just not a thing. It's not going to happen. He couldn't, even if he wanted to, he has no ability to pay that much money. The, again, the most thing they're going to do here is create an indentured servant for the rest of his life. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 but even if they hit the statutory limits, which I'd have to find out exactly what in those Texas, are. I think it's pretty low, but I don't know what it is in Connecticut. Yeah, and, th- and that's the, that's the problem is um, where the trial is taking place is that issue. Um, but again, I think he has a good shot at appeal on this. I really do. Yeah, I think he'll um, be tied I, up in court. But I think there is one person, uh, the one dad that you know we saw on camera smiling and laughing, and then oh, I'm on camera now. I'm crying about my daughter uh, that he potentially actually defamed. Um, I have my own feelings on the subject. Uh, I think there are a lot of unanswered questions at the very least around Sandy Hook. So. Um, yeah, that's fair enough. I just, my main problem here is it, it seems like defamation law shouldn't exist because you're effectively limiting free speech. Well, um, yeah, I mean, you can be a free speech absolutist and go that route. I think there is a fine uh, line. Um, I don't like defina- defamation suits because generally the reason why defamation suits get brought is because there's some truth to it and you're embarrassed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, rarely does someone say something about you that has no truth to it that has any legs to stand on. So, you know... Um, if I call you a Russian apologist, some people mm-hmm. might find some credence to that, given some of the opinions you express. But if I say you're a USA absolutist, you may be offended by that, but you're not going to worry about it because no one's going to believe it, right? Mm-hmm. 
So I'm looking up defamation here. Uh, so the claim of defamation requires the following five elements, publication, falsity, actor must act with knowledge or recklessness or disregard as to the falsity on the matter concerning a public official, or at least negligent on the matter concerning a private person. Actual damages and statement must be defamatory. I have a problem with a number of these. Mm-hmm. Yes, there was a publication. Sure, let's just say it was falsity for the sake of argument, even though that's debatable. Actor must ask with knowledge or reckless disregard. I I think Alex Jones truly believed what he said when he said it. And that should get him out of number three. Right, but the argument there is that it's reckless. I don't think it's reckless to think that somebody uh, who is, by all appearances, is acting as an actor. I don't think it's reckless to say that they're probably acting as an actor and not genuinely expressing their emotions. Um, I I think that's a very gray area, and I, I don't see how Again, the hell they could have said. This is why I think he will win on appeal, because he never mm-hmm. really had an initial trial. Now, they here's just, the real one. Mm-hmm. Actual damages. What were the damages to these people as a result of Alex Jones? Um, well, they've argued that they've had to move, that the, there were people They wanted to, to move. Their, they didn't have to move. There were people coming to their house. There were people threatening their lives. Threats um, are, okay, that's fine. Then you need to file lawsuits against the people who are actually threatening their lives, not somebody that talked about you. I agree with you. So and I think this, there's a problem with actual damages. That's the second yep. one. And then the statement must be defamatory. I mean, I guess we can let that one go and say, yeah, what he said, if all the other criteria were met could be defamatory, but, uh, at least two out of the five, I, I, there's some serious problems with, uh, you and I are on the same page with that. And that's why I think that he has a good shot of winning on appeal, but, uh, we'll see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I really think the judgment was geared towards just headlines. And I think that, the prosecutor, uh, you know, needs to be removed based off of his statements of don't just, uh, you know, uh, don't just uh, make the plaintiffs whole, but prevent his ability to ever do this again. That's mm-hmm. not your role, dude. That That is not seeking justice. Mm-hmm. The, this sort of judgment is in no, it, let, let's say 100% Alex Jones is guilty. This sort mm-hmm. of judgment is not justice in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> no, I, I agree. I think, uh, I don't know, man. I just, I am a lot more of a First Amendment absolutist in general. I, I just think defamation shouldn't exist. I think if somebody lies about you, that doesn't involve the federal government, well, any government, so if there's no governmental consequences of uh, somebody lying about you, I, I don't think then you ought to have an ability to pursue any legal action. And, and to restate what I think you're saying, because I tend to agree with you, unless someone lies about your involvement in a crime or something that inhibits mm-hmm. your freedom, you should have no right. recourse to what they say. Yeah, if somebody lies be... about criminal activity and you end up in prison as a result of it, say February 6th or something, then yes, that's a that you should be able to sue them for, uh, you know, false statements. Well, but, and that goes back to the definition of a crime. One's uh, harm to one's property, person, yeah. or liberty. Yeah. 
But if somebody says that person is really ugly, I can't imagine anybody would ever date them. And that the person saying it, let's say, is a public figure. So that message goes out to 20 million Twitter followers. So what? Like, that's not that's not an actionable thing and in my mind. Agree. It's opinion. You can't be prevented from stating opinions, even if those opinions are wrong factually. Well, and this, gun, earth, this comes well, back should, to an should, should we now sue every person that's ever said the earth is flat? This comes back to an opinion that has been lost in this country that we used to have, and that is summed up in the statement, I may vehemently disagree with what you have to say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that to me is an ethos that I grew up with. There's a saying that was taught to me as a child that I fully vehemently believe in. And, you know, if my parents even taught it to me, Instead of saying sticks and stones may bake your bones, but your words will never hurt me. That's yeah. the one they taught to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, the ethos of I will defend to the death, not just defend you by supporting you or doing whatever, but defend to the death. You're right to say it. Yeah. And that comes into this bit of cancel culture that we have to recognize and that I think you and I personally accept. We are uncancelable, not because I couldn't lose my job over this podcast, because I probably could, but because I will not accept that cancellation. You're not going to change me or change my opinions or my thoughts or my ability to speak because you disagree with me. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's who, who's the guy that did the Who's a Woman movie? He had a great, a great clip the other day on Tim Pool. Uh, they showed the clip of him. Mm-hmm where I can't remember what the reason was that, that somebody was going after him and trying to cancel him. And, and, uh, and his, his answer was like, no, I'm not going to apologize for any of the statements I've made in the past or anything I did. And, you know, just completely pushing back and not trying to be, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, cancel. Yeah. Well, not, not, not cancel, but not, trying to like you know downplay the situation or 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 somehow make light of it it's like no i am who i am you know it's a, it's the popeye kind of pushback well and it's the ability to stand up for yourself and say look i've thought out these opinions i have my reasons for having them and i'm going to stick with them now what i would say is you cannot be so rigid as an individual as to um malign your opinions based off of uh a dogmatic purpose, meaning don't foolishly just stick to your guns, right? If you're wrong, admit when you're wrong, and that can be okay too. Uh, but yeah, right. the but, removal but of there's nothing, free thought There's nothing is wrong with a person who is wrong still talking about their opinion. Right, and the way you should view that person is as a fool. So if you're a flat earther, for example, and you want to continue despite evidence thinking that, Okay, my opinion of you is that you're a fuel, a fool. Um, right. But that's my opinion, and don't be better about it. Yeah, and I, I, and I don't want the flat earthers to have to get sued. Exactly. Like that's just asinine. People yeah. should be able to say things that are untrue, maybe to me, but are true to them in their heads. Now, if you start talking about taking actions as a result of those beliefs, now we get into some more categories that could be problematic 
uh like if you believe that all people with uh uh i don't know red hair are evil and that that's one thing but if you then go and try and kill all people with red hair that's a different thing well a la cartman i think that's a great reference right <clears throat> you mean until he was ginger yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> south park is so good man uh-huh uh-huh uh, uh i did finally watch that thing well i think we talked about it. I, I watched the rest of that south park thing you were, i I love the fact that they made a whole episode about the fact that they are fucking with the uh, the the streaming wars. <laughs> it's it's yeah. a very meta episode. Oh, it is. Where it is they it are is the character so that they're discussing. Yes. Um, have you ever watched, to move on to something lighter, have you ever watched Solar Opposites? Uh-uh. Uh, it's, it, it's worth watching. It's hilarious. Hmm. It's uh, by the creators of Rick and Morty, and it's the same sort of humor. So if you like Why Rick and Morty, you like... Why am I getting ads for IIS log management software? Why are you getting that? I know, right? Why am I getting that? I shouldn't be. That's bizarre. <laughs> Simple IIS log management. Like Interesting. <laughs> it's, it's picking something up. Hmm. Weird. So Trump suffers another legal blow... After Judge Order's former top Pence aide to testify. I'm unaware of this story. So, well, I mean, there it's it's one of many, seems to be almost on a daily basis that these things are coming out these days of, uh, like, legal setbacks for Trump. Well, a lot of it's all in coordination with the January 6th stuff. And, you know, the January 6th hearing is a show trial because there is no rebuttal. There is no cross-examination. Mm -hmm. There's nothing. Yep. It's just pure narrative. And I'm just That's a star chamber. It very much is very much is. And I'm just happy that it's getting the ratings that it is, mm -hmm. which is basically nothing. Well, yeah, people are busy watching, uh, Instagram and, uh, what's the other one? The Chinese one. TikTok. TikTok. That's right. Did you see the TikTok. story about, uh, 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 what's the rapper? I'm blanking. Mm -hmm. Easy. Kanye West. Kanye. Or no. Yeah. 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 The Chase Bank kicking him out. Yep. Yep. I think <clears> this <throat> is uh, actually more backlash over that and more press over Chase's actions than the original story. Like mm -hmm. for the life of me, I haven't gone back and watched the Tucker interview because it just hasn't interested me. I don't even know what Kanye West said that Chase is kicking him out of. All yeah, I know is that well, he, I'm going to be some... probably moving my main bank account away from Chase. Oh, totally. Yeah. No, he said some, uh, he, he's been a wee bit uh, anti-Semitic. Okay. So. Uh, gee, some... imagine that. <laughs> Pink's taking so, action. <laughs> right. So wait a minute. So you're saying the, the the Jews, the Jew moneylenders, decided to kick him out for being anti-Semitic? It's just so just the the meta uh -huh. the meta analysis uh -huh. of that is just hilarious. Sorry. Yeah. And you know this is this is all coming along along the typical now Democrat line, which is so different from Democrats of twenty twenty thirty years ago. Of saying, well, it's a private company; they can do what they want. Uh, no, it's even worse than that. It's the the Democrats of Occupy Wall Street. 
have totally forgotten what they, you know, I even agreed yeah. with some of well, Occupy. That, that was 25 years ago, wasn't it? Or maybe no, that's, it wasn't that's that long 15 ago. years ago. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. It, it, it's hilarious. And then the whole PayPal thing, right? Which mm -hmm. John's gripes and things in the newsletter, that was an uh, interesting blowback there. But um, oh, what do you say? I don't, I don't get the newsletter. He, he, he basically told everyone who canceled their PayPal account that they were virtue signaling, which they are totally. I, dude, I literally I posted, disagree. maybe that's where you got it. I posted my letter to, uh, to, uh, PayPal the first day it happened. Remember now I led this story. I posted about this a week before anybody in the media was talking about it because I actually read things like contracts. So when, uh, when I got the email from PayPal saying we have new terms, I clicked on it and read through the terms and said, this is bullshit. And posted about it. And then I did a screenshot of my letter to PayPal and posted on Noja and the social with the hashtag um, virtue signaling. Well, here, here's I, the thing. But I totally am John's argument. John's argument was the people who are canceling their accounts were the virtue signalers. Mm -hmm. And what I would say is canceling your account is one way to protest this. I'm not canceling my PayPal account because, for the love of God, I hope they do it because. It, that will give me an actionable stance to sue them. And what mm -hmm. we need to do as Can't individuals. Sue them if you agree to the terms. Oh, I didn't agree to the terms. My PayPal account has been in standing for a long period of time. They can't just no, change you, terms. You on agree. Them. No, your original term said we will change these terms on a regular basis. That is up to you, you to cannot, cancel. That is, you cannot have that is that that will not stand up under contract law. It does. Absolutely. It totally stands up. Virtually every company does this, dude. That it is. It, it's never truly been litigated. They oh come on. Uh, they they will notify you ahead of time every time that there's a change in terms. It is up to you to either accept the new terms or cancel the relationship. Well, it's, then how can John law. say that they're virtue signaling? Well, they're John's canceling not a lawyer, their relationship. But uh, I think it is virtue signaling if you talk about it. Like if you just cancel your account and you don't say anything to anybody. I don't, know. I, I don't think that's virtue signaling. If Fair you do enough, what I did and take a screenshot of you doing that <clears throat> and then post it to thousands of people, fuck yeah, that's virtue signaling. Virtue well, signaling is it, not it, limited it, to Democrats. Here's the thing. Um, absolutely not. We people virtue signal on their daily lives all day long. And it's normal human behavior to an extent where we take exception of it generally on the libertarian right side of things is when it's a virtue we disagree with. But mm -hmm. what I would say is that the context of this was that the No Agenda show lost a lot of, quote unquote, sustaining donations because of this. And he was complaining about that. And that's why it's well, that's... taken in four days. <laughs> OK, so you should have led with that because that's funny, because it's so true that John is all about the money. Uh, John wouldn't be doing this show if it wasn't making money. Adam, I think, Absolutely. would still be doing it. I, so, I, I and it's not to that. say, it's not to say that Adam's better than John by any stretch. I think John's closer to me in that regard, in my personal mentality. Um, he's like, well, it's a job. It's, it's, I'm not going to do a job for free. It right. may be a job I enjoy, but it's, it's a job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, it makes sense. But yeah, uh, I think a lot of people canceling PayPal, which has a downflow effect, downward effect on no agenda to get fewer donations because 
people that listen to No Agenda are more likely to be the ones to cancel PayPal. Why do you think Adam and John haven't promoted things like parallel economy more? <clears throat> yeah, I agree. I think parallel economy is the way to go. Um, I've totally looked into it. We would need to be an actual much bigger show to be able to use it, but it is doable. Um, yeah, parallel economy would be a better way to do it. The other way to do it is just to accept credit cards. You don't need freaking PayPal to accept the credit card. Well, but you still have to go through one of them. I mean, at our, uh, at any show's size, even something like, let's say, Joe Rogan experience, you still yeah. have to find a credit card processor who's even going to take you. Sure. And you just don't use Chase. That's all. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, the... Unless you you're do going have to have Visa and MasterCard, yeah, and MasterCard is the well. worst out of the two. But uh, you, you're going to have to strike a balance between what you're willing to use and what your donors are willing to use. Um, I mean, there's no reason that uh, we couldn't accept Apple Pay, other than the fact that Apple's the most socialist out of the bunch. And if if anybody sent money to us using Apple Pay, Apple Pay would probably cancel our podcast. Yeah, um, I mean, th this is the whole thing that I think Adam is doing right with podcasting 2.0 is removing that intermediary, right? Yeah, I think so. The problem still lies. And, you know, obviously Adam's a friend. I, I was actually supposed to be uh, having dinner with him yesterday, but I'm waiting for packages from China, so I can't leave. Um, But uh, so I have to stick around the house. But somebody is still in control <clears throat> of podcasting 2.0. Like it's not fully decentralized to the degree where Adam and Dave can't remove a podcast if they wanted to. Fair enough, but they are making it in such a way as to at least attempt that disintermediation, right? Um, I mean, it's it, here's the the issue is you're relying on the goodness of people well, rather than having a system that is distributed enough that it doesn't matter whether people are good or bad. And what they would say is they have an open API to anyone who wants to download the index yes. that they have today yes. and stand up another one. What we need is more people standing up another one. Absolutely. I think what we need is more clones of this and we needed not just an api for a one-way sync but we need an api for a two-direction sync um i don't Somebody know that, that doesn't exist i haven't been keeping that close a track and, and, of and it. i don't either and this is why i want to restart my series of interviews with podcasting 2.0 and i need mm -hmm. to get adam on for that as well um is we need to have a um well, we don't need it. Look, none of this is needed, right? This is all entertainment stuff. But I, I what, think it's what would be nice because to Because it's have. free speech. It's how you drive a political movement is through free speech and the ability to distribute that speech. Yeah. That's why this matters at all. Uh, yeah, but mostly entertainment. I mean, it's it's politics, but it's political entertainment. Um, It has an effect, but really... Nobody is listening to a podcast in order to decide who to vote for. Um, I and let, I let's think let, me, let me put it this way: the people that are listening to podcasts and then will make a decision on who to vote for based on that podcast. Those people are not listening to political podcasts; 
they're listening to famous people podcasts. What you're saying is if you're deriving your opinion from solely from a podcast and are deciding who to vote for based off of that, maybe you shouldn't vote. And that I can somewhat agree with. Um, but, you know, definitely. Well, you, you uh, have, uh, I, that's quite a bit of an extrapolation, but it is, I think, fairly accurate. Okay. So I would say, for instance, if I'm a voter in Pennsylvania and I hear about the Warnock interview and I listen to Tim and what he had to say about the Warnock interview, that mm -hmm. may influence my decision to vote. And I'm a fairly educated voter mm -hmm. because I didn't catch the interview. But hearing about sure. it, then going and looking at the interview, it's like, holy shit, right? So I think there is a place for podcasts to at least draw attention yeah. to the relevant topics. No, I, fair enough. But my, my point I was trying to make is that this is not a, a critical thing. It's a nice-to-have thing. And a nice-to-have thing would be to have the ability to not just replicate the database through the API for podcasting 2.0, but then to run your own independent one and be able to do a bi-directional sync back and forth on a regular basis so that somebody who didn't even register with with uh, Podcast Index, with the official one, right, with Podcast mm -hmm. Index, uh, and registered with this alt version would still end up in the Podcast Index. Like, that would be well, cool. Now, maybe they can do that right now. I don't know. Maybe we're talking about I something that is already there. Ideally, what would be great is to take the federation model of, say, Mastodon and be able to stand up multiple instances. Yeah. If someone registers with me, they're over there with you, apps using multiple. So we're lowering the total cost <clears throat> to operate right. said index uh, by federating, saying, okay, hey, um, I'm at capacity. Go ping another yeah, server. Do it there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have some load balancing. In and there. I and I think the way that the federated system does it uh, right now is pretty cool. So you can mute somebody that you don't want to hear, or you can block somebody so they don't hear you. And but you're not doing that to groups. You're doing that to individuals. And I think that's well, the proper size and, to do it. In. Yeah. I agree with that, but problem there is, is that the administrator of the Mastodon server can block entire channels. Yeah, but anybody can so, spool up their own Mastodon server. Fair enough. And I, I think that that's where Dave and Adam are going, um, mm -hmm. and I hope they continue their work. I, I support them regularly because, you know, I, I, I think they hit the nail on the head at the right time with their mm -hmm. project. But... You know, it, it, it comes down to this. I think that, you know, whether you want to argue that Alex Jones, for instance, is a podcast or not, um, I listen to him via RSS, not via terrestrial radio. I think a lot of what he has to say is important. I don't like Alex Jones particularly. I've said this multiple times because I think he's too bombastic in his language. But the That's man the is right part. way too... I don't find it... I'd rather him, instead of saying, the frogs are... They're turning the freaking frogs gay... Hey, they're putting chemicals in the water that are having uh, adverse effects on amphibians. That's entertaining. What I think us? he's an entertainer. I like I like his style. Well, well, I, I I've always liked obnoxious, loud people. Why do you think we're friends? <laughs> I, I definitely can be obnoxious, and I definitely can be loud. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, I don't know. Tim, no, uh, I think it's a good Tim's... model. Now, the the one thing that I would. Like I'll 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 bring this up I think when I talk to him although it's gonna be it's tongue in cheek but I would love to have a band tag 
in the uh, in RSS so that um, you can exclude certain downloaders, individuals or apps. Oh, individuals! I, I do. I want to do everything. How do you do that at the individual? Basis. But how do you do that at the individual level? Then you're requiring apps to uniquely identify users, which goes oh, against yeah. one of their core tenets. Absolutely. Tenets. Well, I think I think there's a way to do it. I think you start with the individual and you use the biggest or the smallest group the individual belongs to. So what you're saying is you believe in intersectionality. Got it. So I think uh, well, I think so intersectionality exists. It's not something you can believe or not believe in. Intersectionality like, is the, you like. You, let's say you I have, have a podcast. The appropriate, or the so appropriate I have a podcast level of analysis. About, there's the individual. I don't know farming. I have a farming podcast, for example, or something. And I want to just make sure that my podcast is available, except for you know this other guy that lives next door to me, because he's an asshole. So okay. we just start looking at the groups, or like if I can't ban him, like what's the smallest group that I can ban that he's in? So, like, I know he wears a beanie on his head, so maybe I can ban all Jews. And then, uh, <laughs> and then that way he won't listen to the podcast. Oh, my God. I mean, it's, I'm just using that as an example. This is not a real podcast. I'm not talking about farming podcast stuff. But, you know, something that, that allows the creator to retain their right of distribution. Because that's effectively what you're giving up right now is the right of distribution. You're saying anybody the, can have anything they want. The problem with that is in the digital world where there are infinite copies of something, you the right to control distribution is an illusion at best. Well, not if you have a tag. What I would say there is how do you maintain your right of distribution in order to enforce that I honor that tag? Lawsuits, obviously. Well, and that's what it comes down to. And that's yeah, what, you know, um, so why not put as in a, your terms of service creator? Yeah. And maybe that's what we need is, an, is a terms of service tag so that if every time you're downloading a podcast, it's, it's updating the terms of service for you for that podcast. Yeah. So Gene, uh, new terms of service for the show. You can't download it. <laughs> Well, only select people can't download it. The people that I banned can't download it. Yeah. Everybody the, else The people on this list fine. may not download or listen to this podcast. Correct. You're, Sorry, you're CSB. Contractually prohibited from downloading or listening to this particular podcast. Yes. Yeah. So in the uh, in the license on the new show, we're gonna we're gonna block CSB. I take it. I I didn't hear what you said. I don't I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, man. Well, anything else you want to talk about? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. You haven't bought anything new or cool, right? I have not. In okay. fact, uh, been working on the budget pretty hard and trying to just uh, get everything financially as stable and good as I can, given the current mm -hmm. economic uh, situation we find ourselves in. So, no, no new big purchases or anything fun. All right. Well, that's good enough. We can wrap it up. So, oh, one thing. Uh, so, actually, we should wrap it up. We've got over two hours, I just realized. But um, we mentioned at the beginning, well, I'll just re-mention it again. So, starting with the next episode, we're actually going to be on the new RSS. And I will be posting and mentioning it on Sir Gene Speaks on a regular basis so that uh, everybody can make sure they have a, a good transition to the new RSS. 
um, for just the good old boys. And this will be a standalone podcast at that point. So that will start with the next episode. Stay tuned. And as always, thanks for joining me. Please do keep in mind that nothing in this podcast represents financial, legal, or medical advice. 